Hello and welcome to the 250, your weekly podcast look at the IMDb's top 250 movies of all time. And sometimes, movies that aren't even on the list at all, but are by a director that we're covering, and we thought it'd be fun to hang out and talk about them for just a little bit longer. I'm your host, Darren Mooney, and joining me as always is my co-host, Andrew Quinn. How are you, Andrew? I'm very good, Darren. I'm excited to be returning to the work of Brad Bird. How are you? I'm good. I'm, I'm soaring. I'm flying. I'm flying high. Um... But yes, we are talking today about Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, a movie that has never been on the INDV's top 250 movies of all time. But we thought we were having such a good time. Because we, we, we've, we've done um, Mission Impossible movies that have. We did Fallout, yes. Fallout yeah. was the first Mission Impossible movie to make the list. The only Mission Impossible movie to make the list. And we did this because we were having such a great time with our two guests on this birdwatching season. First of all, the fantastic Graham Day. How are you, Graham? Um, I think I've become um, a very good birdwatcher, I think. I've come to appreciate the many feathers and flaps of this bird. And I pre- the feathers in his cap. Yes, the many, many feathers in his cap. Uh, Stop the flap talk. Yeah, I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm really excited to see where this big bird goes. All right, um, and joining us for this discussion as well, the fantastic Deirdre Malabi. How are you, Deirdre? I am good. Now I didn't quite do all the homework in that I didn't get to rewatch all the Mission Impossible movies, which I'm a little disappointed at myself <laughs> about. If we'd had a bit more time, then. Perhaps, but, uh, you know, I was delighted enough to revisit this one. So looking forward to our chat today. Well, right. it's, 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 not, it's not easy to, um, to watch all of them. Like, they, 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 they each kind of have their own charms. Yeah. Like, they're, uh, they weren't able to woo you. Oh, that film. You've got to track your Macquarie down. You've got to find them. You know, they don't all arrive in the palm of your hand. God damn it. I was wondering um, how you're going to do that I don't have one. anything for Abrams. Um, but, all right. I just wind them up. And yeah, then just watch let him go. go. <laughs> it's brilliant. It's glorious and beautiful. Now, Graham, Graham was on our episode talking about Mission Impossible. I was. So we talked a bit about Tom Cruise. We talked about Mission Impossible there. But D, what is your relationship? You said you didn't get to watch all the Mission Impossible movies or rewatch all the Mission Impossible movies. Mm. Which ones did you rewatch? And what is your big overarching impression of Mission Impossible? And do you have a Tom Cruise take? Because everybody does. Um, so actually, the first time I kind of was introduced to the Mission Impossible movies was actually we decided to watch them all. So this was at the point that... Um, and I know I'm kind of getting into your question of wh- when was the first time you watched this movie, but... Uh, we did watch one through Rogue Nation all in a row. Um, so I'll talk about my specific experience of watching Ghost Protocol. But uh, yeah, that was kind of my introduction to the um, Mission Impossible movies, generally speaking. I liked them. Like, I do like kind of sinking my teeth into a franchise and watching all the installments. I've even done it with the Fast and Furious movies, which, by the way, I think that... Um, the series has a little bit in common with, which we will get into. Um, and then uh, as for Tom Cruise, yeah, I like him. I like him as an actor. Uh, some movies better than others. Actually, you know what movie I did watch in preparation for this? Because I saw it was on Netflix and I was like, I've never seen The Mummy with Tom Cruise. Nah. And Ooh. my goodness, that is a poor movie. Yeah. Like yes. Tom Cruise is just not on form. Like my, I think that Tom Cruise's best work is with kind of certain directors that he really kind of collaborates with. Um, Mm. Although in the Mission Impossible movies, he does seem to be a little more 
I don't know, focused or something. But I like I love his work with Doug Lyman. I, I love um, American Made and uh, Edge of Tomorrow. I repeat. Yeah, they're probably my favorite um, Tom Cruise movies. But generally speaking, like this series, I like Tom Cruise. Like I really enjoyed Top Gun Maverick when that was out over the mm-hmm. summer as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, at the same time, I can kind of see why, uh, you know, he doesn't have a lot of movies in the top 250. Um, actually, how many of them are in there? We we should say we're, we're glad, first of all, that you like talking about Tom Cruise, because we won't be talking about the movie. Anything else. <laughs> yeah. This is we're, Andrew's we're, recurring bugbear. We've talked about Tom Cruise literally <laughs> twice on this podcast, 314 episodes in, and Andrew's like, that's far too many times. No, no, we, 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 we cover, we, every, every week, we, we, we cover a new actor who's in a movie <laughs> on the IMDb 250. I put it, but three, three, three times we've spoken exclusively about Tom Cruise. Um, in, in like, like, I think this is an interesting point where we're talking about this as part of like a bird watching season. I right? feel like I'm a I'm a Tom Cruise uh, like apologist because, <laughs> because I'm kind of like yeah he's good in these movies. Um, and then Darren know? opens the dossier and is like, "Did you know the FBI grounded all his planes in case they needed to arrest David Miscavige? Um, are you aware that several states passed laws <laughs> preventing private individuals from buying ultrasound machines that they named the Tom Cruise law? Um, sorry. Yeah. Tom Cruise is a very interesting character. I am talking about him in movies. Yeah. Just yeah. Also, we're talking oh, yes. about him in bird watching season. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Which is the thing that I was going to kind of get, get to there, which is this is an interesting movie to talk about if we're looking at birds filmography. Mm. All of. The three films that we have covered so far are very much Brad Bird movies. Even Ratatouille, which he came in, he took over after Yang Takava kind of like said, I can't do this anymore. But that is still from the ground up a Bird movie. He rewrote the script. He redesigned, you know, several of the models and how they function. He reworked the plot. All right. But the thing about Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol is that it is the first time that Bird is working with a screenplay that he didn't write. And it's the first time that he's really been kind of approached and drafted onto a franchise that arguably belongs to somebody else. In this case, Tom Cruise. And it arrives at a very interesting time in terms of Hollywood, in terms of filmmaking. But yeah, since Graham kind of set this up, let's talk about the Brad Bird of it all, right? After Bird did Ratatouille, the initial plan was to do 1906. We talked about it briefly last week. It was basically these this kind of live action movie that was going to be released by Pixar, co-financed by Warner Brothers, looking at the San Francisco earthquake. It seems like the movie kind of lost steam after Disney acquired Pixar. The studio had no interest in letting Pixar develop live action projects. Um, and basically Bird ended up Has just kind Pixar of... Has Pixar ever made a live action project? No. 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 So there was this like plan to like... Hey, let's <laughs> let's do something completely different. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, this is something. Maybe they needed that. But again, the idea was that they were their own studio. They weren't it's just like Disney, an animation studio that do live action, bought Pixar and said no. Yeah. No. no stay in your lane. Yeah. Know your yeah. place. Well, it's like if Star Wars decided it wanted to do, I don't know, like a gritty character drama about the building of resistance in the age of fascism. <laughs> that would be incredibly implausible. <laughs> um, but I, I, I do think that like it is worth noting. You have this idea in Pixar that these directors want to go and make live action movies. They don't just want to be seen as animation guys. In fact, like there's an interview with Brooke Barnes uh, that Brooke Barnes does with Bird for the New York Times, which will include in the show notes, where he talks about like when he was sitting down with Bird to talk about like Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, 
the one bit of advice he got from handlers was whatever you do, do not refer to his previous films as cartoons. That's the red line. You don't do that because that will just set the interview off on a tangent that you won't be able to control. Is there a sense of a hierarchy? Like in spite of, say, like the IMDb 250 having a lot of animated movies, when you think about directors, you think about kind of live action directors. Spielberg, Kubrick, um, Even though Spielberg has done a lot of animation. But as producer. Yeah, he's not not a director for animation. Yeah, and I mean like, I think that at this stage, if you were to hear someone refer to an animated movie as a cartoon, it reflects more poorly on them mm-hmm. than anything, because there's kind of a naivety there. Uh, that's what I would think about that. But but maybe I would also agree. Yeah, but maybe like back then, I suppose people were still using that. I don't think people really use the word cartoons commonly now, unless they're literally referring to like kiddie cartoons, you know. TV shows. So. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of referring to The Simpsons as a cartoon <laughs> lately. <laughs> this is the Darren and I. Darren is playing his first Dungeons and Dragons game. Ooh. I have no idea what I'm doing, and Andrew is. Andrew's like, let's make this really complex, and I have no idea what I'm doing. It's like, how it's, about there are inception levels to it? And I'm yeah. like, I, I have no idea what's going. It's on. It's a Simpsons themed. Um, so Darren, so Darren, what's your race? We're gonna talk about that off mic after the podcast. <laughs> oh, I have no fine. idea. Class. Uh, what? Your class? I don't know. What you mean? Graham, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not withholding. It's nothing. We're, we're, you're acting as if like I'm withholding from you. You're podcast. acting like I'm keeping a secret. He's I'm, playing Martin Prince. I'm, yeah, I'm playing Martin Prince. Of course I am. Uh, um, but like, but like, I'm not telling you because I don't know. That's why I, I can't. T- it's it's I'm still up for discussion. Yeah. Um, but like, the, what do you mean you don't know? <laughs> tell, tell me your strength modifier. Um, God. God. Okay. Thank roll you, for charisma. <laughs> um, yeah, roll for charisma. Apparently, that's what I need right now. Um, but what I will say is that to, to that point, it, it is worth noting that around this time, and I think this is a point that Andrew made when we were talking about the Iron Giant. It's been kind of a, a thing we come back to quite a bit while talking about these movies. The idea that like. Around about 2000, everything starts to change in Hollywood and everything becomes a cartoon. And so you have this idea that there's these more fungible boundaries between live action animation than there ever was before. Like, so, for example, around this time, you see Gore Verbinski, who's primarily directed live action movies, directing Rango. He directs that in 2011. You have Wes Anderson doing The Fantastic Mr. Fox, a stop motion film in 2009, which is massively controversial because there's a whole question of did he actually direct that or did he just direct the voice performances? Did Isle of Dogs kind of end that or did it just continue that? I think it ended that. Um, I think that like that was him basically asserting, no, I directed it. Watch me direct another one. Right. Like Isle of Dogs almost seems like a subtweet of the, you didn't <laughs> it's like, well, watch me direct again. Um, obviously you have like Tim Burton who had begun as an animator, but it did in live action. He did like Corpse Ride in 2005 and Frank and Weenie in 2002 and uh, 2012 as well. So you have this idea of like suddenly animation isn't like the ghetto anymore and isn't this place where like you know movies go and they're forgotten about I was put up in the ghetto they don't count as real movies or whatever <laughs> you know they're kind of like cordoned off and kind of like kept away mm. from regular ho- as we talked about like this is the year where there's discussions about like you know toy story 3 gets a best picture nomination for example that sort of thing um and the- still i will say just to push against that darren if you don't mind um there are still circles that still think of animation in the ghetto even if such a funny sentence. Um, like even in Disney, well, Bob with, uh, the ex, the yeah, the ex CEO, he still believes that they're cartoons, flights of fancy for little kiddies, and that 
no one above Adults a certain... don't watch cartoons, I think, was his yeah, explanation. Yeah, they don't watch cartoons, which is not true. Well, um, I, I think... It's not. I think, like, um, our parents' generation, say, would have put cartoons on for their children. Yeah. Rather than kind of watch them for their for for <laughs> for their own enjoyment, um, and and I think Disney as well. You uh, aside from their um, animated stuff and uh, including Pixar, aside from that, I think their their Disney and Marvel stuff is. Kind of they, 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 the Star Wars and Marvel, for example, that sort of stuff. Is. Sorry, sorry, there's Star Wars and Marvel, I beg your pardon, um, is primarily for children, but the market has grown, you know, that, that, that's that, that they certainly don't make things generally speaking that are inappropriate for children. Um, and you could argue that some Marvel and Star Wars stuff is inappropriate for children, but it's, it's kind of like in the, you know, say it quietly sort of yeah. way where where you you even if you do rate something kind of um uh i don't know what they say in america is it nc17 yeah well that yeah. is that is the You're, really hard or is probably the one that they go for nc17 is is like showgirls killed nc17 blonde is it blonde is nc17 yeah obligatory Robo-Cop yeah r is just there's a lot of blood and gore right right so yeah, if 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 um like they they the 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 movies that are rated like they 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 want kids that to are sneak under into that it. age. It's like Terminator Two sort of thing. Anyway. Where Terminator yeah, Two yeah. is R rated, but you're selling Happy Meals and it has a kid protagonist. That's sort of yeah thing. yeah. Um, a I'm... Robocop Two. <laughs> <laughs> Gratuitous Robocop. Gratuitous Robocop. Uh, yeah. But like, and I mean, you, again, to Andrew's point about this about the blurring of boundaries between live action and animation, like. You know, Graham said, you know, we talked about Spielberg promoting animation. He arguably made his first animated movie in 2011, which is the Tintin movie, mm-hmm. uh, which is mm-hmm. like motion capture. Uh, you also argue that you had like James Cameron's Avatar, which was the biggest movie of all time in 2009, where a large portion of that, an incredibly large portion of that was animated as well. So you have this blurring of boundaries taking place. Yeah, most of Zemeckis' stuff as well. Yeah. Since as well. Yeah, Zemeckis has basically gotten into that area as well. And that's pretty much all he has. In- including Forrest Gump, like... <laughs> They, they had that kind of... Um, well, it was an early draft of that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Where they're, they're using kind of video effects to... to composite him into scenes with yeah, like actual yeah. famous From historical people. Right there next to Nixon. And, yeah. <laughs> Has the, Linda Johnson signing his ass, isn't it, if I remember correctly? But my point is, though, to, to get back to the movie we're talking about, to get about, talking about Bird, what you have is you have the Pixar creative team who have wanted to move into live action, who've always kind of like been interested in that. Disney say 1906 not really a runner but you have two directors who transition to live action you have andrew stanton doing john carter which comes out in 2012 a movie that bombs so hard that it ends the career of rich ross uh the disney studio uh-huh. and basically is the reason why disney buys star wars because they realize they How can't bad actually is it? it's fine yeah like i really like it i really quite and like... that is the the film that darren had written on the envelope ladies and gentlemen <laughs> You know my stick stick on this anyway. I had a whole conversation with Andrew Stanton about the sequel he'd want to do, and it was a sequel to John Carter. And I said, "Yes, please make that. I'm, I want that. I'd want it too." And I, you know what? We never got it. I think Taylor Kitsch is quite good, actually. I I, 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 I think so too. I really liked him in True in, Detective, in season, in two. True Detective two. season Two. Yeah. I, th- I think D be- is worryingly quiet about. It. <laughs> 
No, no, I just uh, I was I was just remembering how um, in our chat earlier when I said we're going to end. Uh, don't mention animation or we're going to end up in another six hour defense of it. Just like time. And I would have thought I was like, surely there won't be mention of animation in a podcast where we're talking about. Really it was going movie. to. <laughs> but. But yes, so Staten gets to make Andrew Carter. Andrew Carter basically kills Disney's like John like, Carter. John Carter, sorry, uh, gets to make John Carter, which basically is the reason why Disney buys Star Andrew Wars. Andrew Carter was the sequel that he didn't get to make. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Coach Carter was the third one. <laughs> Coach Carter, <laughs> brilliant. Thank you. They're part of the Carterverse. <laughs> Into the Carterverse. X Files. Um, oh, <laughs> right. So, how Bird comes into directing Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol is, as we mentioned, he's working on 1906. Project isn't going anywhere. He's getting a bit tired. He's getting a bit frustrated. And we should note, by the way, that it's still technically in development on the back burner. Oh. Uh, occasionally, Bird will give interviews where he's like, ah, I think maybe now it should be like a streaming series and a blockbuster movie. It's grown too large to be just one thing. <laughs> and, you know, it, it's one of those things that is probably never going to happen, but might actually happen, given, as we mentioned, that Raygun, you know, is happening. But basically, you know, in, in 2009, 2010, he's, he's getting a bit frustrated with it. So he calls up his old friend, Michael Giacchino, who obviously we've talked about, worked on the soundtrack to both Ratatouille and The Incredibles. Mm. And they basically meet and they have lunch. And they have lunch, uh, I believe, at Bad Robot, where obviously Giacchino is kind of set up because he's a longtime collaborator of J.J. Abrams. And that's Andrew ticking off another box in Andrew's 250 bingo game. Darren mentions J.J. <laughs> Abrams. Obviously, Abrams had directed Mission Impossible 3. Uh, and he couldn't direct Mission Impossible 4 because he was too busy working on Star Trek uh, 2009 and obviously its sequel kind of Into Darkness. But anyway, Bird is at the commissary. He's having lunch. And obviously Abrams comes over and they get chatting. Uh, because obviously, like, we, I think we talked about this before, the weird history of Hollywood where J.J. Uh, Abrams actually worked briefly as an animator on DreamWorks Shrek. So obviously the two of them kind of knew yeah, each other. Yeah, you can see his credit on it. <laughs> which is kind of incredible. But basically, Abrams had directed Mission Impossible 3. Um, they bump into each other was, while Tom Cruise can is giving I say, them... Can I ask, was he JJ back then? I feel like that's a, a recent <laughs> affectation. No, nobody is like JJ Abrams in a, a like, <laughs> like assistant animator. <laughs> I, I think he might have been. Really? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to go by my uh, initials, A-P-E. <laughs> Quinn. Quinn. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the idea of having like that... Like J.R.R. Tolkien. Or, <laughs> or G.R.R. Martin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or J.J. Abrams. Ape. It's got to be Ape from now on. It's got to be... That's what we're going with. All right, that, <laughs> yeah. that's what we're committed to. But basically, they, they meet anyway, um, and they kind of they have a conversation about it, and they just get chatting. It's like, so what are you doing at the moment? And Bird confesses, I'm working on 1906. It's not going anywhere. I'm feeling kind of frustrated about it. And apparently, they, they go their separate ways, and then that evening... He receives a text message from Abrams. It's just one word and a question mark. And that one word is mission. And Bert is like, question yeah. Mark. He, he chose to accept it. Oh, no, he should have texted the whole line. Your mission should you choose to accept it. Mission? Or mission accomplished. Maybe, maybe he was being coy. It's like mission, question mark. Mission? And then it's like... 
He's hoping either like it's perfectly deniable. It's yeah. like I didn't just offer you Mission Impossible. <laughs> what are you talking about? We're talking about emoji. a burrito. <laughs> Let's um yeah. Um sorry. Sorry, Graham. No, I didn't say it. No, no. Or something along the lines of can you make this impossible project? I don't know. I just think there should have been something. <laughs> it could have been cooler. It could have been cooler. I don't know. Uh, I, I do. If it's not mystery box, JJ doesn't know what to do. Well, I'm glad that he sent it anyway. That he didn't just put it in his drafts and like come back to it. I, yeah. I can think of something. Darren, better. tell me I'm wrong. Um, I saw your face. Tell me I'm wrong. Uh, I think The Force Awakens, I think Super 8, and I think the first two Star Trek movies are really good movies. And I think Abrams' impact on pop culture... Uh, is better than most people give it credit for. I do think The Force Awakens is... Uh, sorry, the, I do think The Rise of Skywalker is one of the worst blockbusters ever made. But we don't have time <laughs> to get into that now. Um, so poor. It, it really is. Um, all right, so Bird kind of signs up. And one of the reasons why he signs up is because this series has a reputation for being director-centric. Cruz, uh, through the 90s, has this thing where he works with directors who he really respects and admires and basically puts himself and his ego at their mercy. Obviously, the famous example is uh, Eyes Wide Shut. I'm going where... to take your ego. I'm going to hurt it. <laughs> it's going to call out for you and you're not going to be able to help it. Um, <laughs> that's the worst part. Um, lo- love Mission Impossible 3 so, so much. Yeah, I had to mention that because it's a J.J. Abrams uh, Mission Impossible movie. Yeah. It is indeed. Um, but basically, yeah, so Bird is like, well, look. Haven't ha- seen it. You, how have you? How do you know? Shockingly, the pro- what? PlayStation Hoffman's in it, and I love him. Um, how do you? How do you? He's the main villain. How do you know the quote? <laughs> because it's iconic. <laughs> how do you know it's iconic if you haven't seen it? Well, because he knows it without having seen it. I think. Oh, that argument. Yeah, yeah. It's it's it, yeah. That that that's kind of like you're making my argument. Um, <laughs> But okay, so basically Bird is like, yeah, so Cruz has this reputation for bringing on directors and like trusting them. So obviously the first one's by De Palma. It's very much a De Palma film. The second one is a John Woo movie and it is inescapably a John Woo movie. Um, Obviously, you know, he's done projects with people like, say, Martin Scorsese. He has this partnership with Spielberg in the early 2000s. Like Cruz is a guy who's like at this stage is like, I trust directors. You guys do what you do. Oliver Stone too, yeah. He got his Oscar nomination from working with Stone, like, which is, yeah, which is incredible as well. Like, you look at Cruz's career and it's just incredible, the directors that he chooses to work with. And in many cases, using his, like, cachet and his box office power to get those films made. It's something I do genuinely yeah. admire and He's love. He's a hard trial. Ben Stiller. Like, what? Yeah, you never would have made Tropic Thunder without Cruz. No! <laughs> uh, but... <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's, it's a sense in which, like, he probably has better taste than most film executives. Yes. In the sense that like True. he will take it's not a high bar. He will take a director that a film executive is kind of uneasy about making a film with. Yeah. And and say like, hey, well, you're you're pretty pretty jazzed about making films with me in it. <laughs> um, so and I want to make a film with this guy. And they're like, so long as you're in it. <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. the deal. Yeah, yeah. Um, How does popcorn feel on your feet? <laughs> <laughs> but like that, that is, that is the, like Cruz, I do think genuinely loves movies. I think like, I think he adores, he lives and breathes them. And I think it's very obvious in the work that he does. Mm. And Andrew, I'm sorry. This is where we talk about. <laughs> no, that's where, fine. Where Tom Cruise was at this moment in his, his career. Cause I think this is vaguely important. Ooh. I feel like, yeah, yeah, yeah. no, and I, I, maybe, maybe it's interesting in terms of the movie because we, we, we'll, 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 we'll like come back to the movie. But I, I, I feel, I feel like the, this is, 
a a weird movie in some yes. ways and that <laughs> maybe yes, it relates it to something that yes is, yes yeah, it does yeah, yeah. so just to put... this is like head canon for for darren about what the movie is really about i think it's um, kind of and I, it feels like it might be actually, uh, actually yeah yeah given like this given time. that tom cruise has a lot of kind of control over these movies it would appear yes. now i i don't know how kind of um whether it's something that is conscious or not um i would suspect it's not <laughs> um and some of it might well be, but we'll maybe talk right. about it. But just yeah. to put this in Sorry. context very like very quickly on where Cruz is at this point. 2006, Mission Impossible is released. It opens big, but not big enough. It is the lowest grossing Mission Impossible movie to that point. That is also the press cycle where he ends up jumping on the couch, talking about how much he loves Katie Holmes, boasting that he's going to eat her placenta, making her go through a silent birth, uh, buying an ultrasound machine, talking about Scientology and having people pick it outside uh, Steven Spielberg's uh, psychiatrist's house. It is not a great time to be Tom Cruise's press secretary, who, by the way, he is fired and replaced with his sister. Um, So basically, Paramount are like, we're not really sure about this whole Tom Cruise thing, but at least he's still making us money. Then guess what happens? Uh, he has a string of underperforming movies. Uh, Lions for Lambs is released in 2007. It bombs at the US box office. It relies on the Ameri- sorry, the international box office to basically boost it. Uh, in 2009, Valkyrie, I believe, becomes the first Tom Cruise movie to gross under $100 million since 1992's Far and Away. Oh no, I was just going to add, but I think that, I don't know, unless it it completely changed just because I was looking at because I was uh, researching for an article. I was looking at um, big Christmas Day uh, box office openings and Valkyrie actually came up in that. Um, so apparently Valkyrie is a Christmas movie, guys. It came out on Christmas Day and there's snow in it. So maybe that's enough. But um, apparently it had a really big. <laughs> Who doesn't want to kill Hitler at <laughs> exactly. Christmas? Um, but apparently it had a really big opening unless did it just kind of fall off the wagon after that or something? I was it, just curious. It, it, it did because the next the next statistic is that like in 2010 Night and Day became his weakest opening movie. Ooh. His opening weekend collapse for Night and Day. I'm is surprised it... more people didn't see that. At Night and Day or, or Yeah, Valkyrie? Night and Day. Well, both. I mean, but Valkyrie Valkyrie obviously like as well as as Dee says it had a strong opening weekend, but like dads love World War 2. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, you know the 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 it's 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 such a kind of like a a a, a boomer kind of uh, yeah. It's uh, like a movie star in a movie about Nazis in a exactly. mission to kill Hitler. Yeah, it feels like a home run. Yeah, and I've never heard anything about it bad either about it have like, you heard anything good about it though i think that's i mean the thing. it was yeah i mean it was a bit of a downer and i'm not sure did it get particularly good reviews i'm trying to remember now at the time i did watch it when it came out but i do feel like i remember it just kind of came and went like it went over my head or something right um yeah. i think for me the thing with valkyrie is the fact that like you know that they don't kill hitler like yeah, it has something yeah. of a historical spoiler built into that's, the premise. That's what that's what uh, that's what Inglorious Bastards they had over it. Tarantino fight is. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That is the advantage Inglorious Bastards had over it in marketing. <laughs> that's the sequel. Um, yeah, direct sequel. Um, 
I, I will say, like, there is one a, of the best there... ends of a movie, which of course we can't reveal. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, <laughs> we also can't reveal that whether um, whether Hitler dies at the end of Valkyrie. Oh, that's we, fair. We leave that's... that as a mystery. <laughs> yeah, we'll leave yeah. that as a. We'll put that in the J.J. Abrams mystery box. But yeah, <laughs> at this stage, Paramount are like out of the Tom Cruise business. They want a ticket off this train. They think like Cruise is over the hill. He's done with. Like we're looking around. We just sold Marvel to Disney. We this need is a... a train where you have to buy a ticket to leave. Yeah, that, that's how they get you, Andrew. <laughs> oh well. Um, but it's like, look, we just sold our Marvel gonna, kind of. Not going to turn down this free train ride. And then. <laughs> yeah. Um, but basically, they're like, look, we sold our Marvel line to Disney. Um, we need some franchise to replace it. Can it be Mission Impossible? But Mission Impossible now has this gigantic baggage attached to it as well. And there is some suggestion initially, as this is entering the planning phases, that Cruz himself might, if not enthusiastically accept the possibility that he may no longer be the face of Mission Impossible, is beginning to accept it. Where he's he's begun working with directors uh, who are not auteurs anymore, but they're people he trusts. Uh, Dee mentioned like Doug Lyman, who does like um, All You Need Is Kill and who does American Made. You obviously have Kaczynski, who does like uh, Oblivion and does Top Gun Maverick. You have Zwick, who does like Jack Reacher, Never Go Back and The Last Samurai. Um, you have like this Chris McQuarrie, who does like Jack Reacher and all the Mission Impossible movies that follow as well. Um, and you have this idea that Cruz is prepping an exit strategy where he announces that his next big project is going to be Jack Reacher. He's going to play Jack Reacher and he's going to play Jack Reacher forever and ever. This is a franchise yeah, with 25 books mm-hmm. in it and he's going to adapt every single one of them. And the idea is that the Reacher... And he starts on the eighth one. Well, he starts on a good one is the key there. Um, hey, listen, we all, I, I'm not sure if we all did, but we all watched, I, I'm fairly certain we all watched Prime's version of Reacher and that was pretty badass. And that's the first book. No, I missed that. I mean, uh, oh, you missed it. You love it. It's so good. I know. I do need to watch it. You should watch it. it with your dad. You should watch it with your dad. It's great. I like that um, recommendation. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's, it's, it's good fun for like kids who want to like, you know, hang out with their dads who probably are really into like, you know, really macho type things. Well, it, I don't know if your dad is actually like that, D, but like. It's a good show. Cooking a steak. Maybe a little bit too well done. <laughs> exactly! Actually, never mind. Yes, there! Um, There's, but, like, like uh, what's it? Call for the Dead. I don't think it's ever had... Oh, no, it it, 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 it actually has. But, but, like, they didn't go back. Or they didn't start with, like, an Alec Guinness is George Smiley in oh, okay, Call yeah. for the Dead. Oh, where, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Yeah, yeah. Where 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 they didn't do all of the kind of uh, all, all eight leading up to Smiley. I, I actually is it eight or I think it might be more. Um Jeez. yeah. That they, they went they went for the big one first. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which makes sense. Yeah. Incidentally I, I was wondering why they never made more of those Jack Reacher movies, but now that Graham mentions it, I think he has a point. Once you adapt books so late in the series, you you can never go back. <laughs> and again, mm-hmm. and again, the idea is that like Reacher is the movies are more affordable than Mission Impossible movies. Their budgets are lower. The stunts and set pieces are are much less demanding of Cruise, who is an actor who's getting older now as well. So he doesn't necessarily have to risk his life doing them. And there's this kind and yet. of well, yeah, there's <laughs> to set the stage for Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. There's this whisper going around that look, maybe this is possibly something that Cruz is like easing his way out of and he's got a retirement plan going for him. We'll talk in the spoiler zone about whether that is what the movie turns out to be, but going into it, that is the whisper. Um, but Dee, do you remember the first time you saw Ghost Protocol? 
I'm guessing it's part of the Mission Impossible Marathon, but you suggested yes. you have a particular memory of it. Um, yes. So uh, now I'll kind of go into more detail about that uh, movie watching marathon. We just, um, I, I can't remember if we rented them or was there somewhere online that we could watch them at that stage? I can't fully remember, but I remember watching the first one and being like, a bit slow moving, but like good. It's a good movie. And I mean, mm. uh, that, uh, you know, the drop sequence you know the famous yes, the one where he's dangling from yeah the I mean that bit is like really cool and you can see how it became so iconic now I think it was two with all the face swapping wasn't it <laughs> which was just ridiculous there was so much face swapping two is the one where they joust with motorbikes it was, it, I call it bike foo and I remember being so upset that it was John Woo because I mean in a way it made sense like he went even more face off than face off. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I was so disappointed because I'm such a huge fan of uh, what Jim called the killer and face off that I was like, why, John? Why? Um, anyway, it was not meant to be. I remember Mission Impossible 3 being slight improvement, but I was like, OK, interest starting to wane here. And then Ghost Protocol comes along and I'm like, yes, this is so Good. And then I was very excited to watch Rogue Nation, which was the next one out at the time. Um, But yeah, Ghost Protocol was the first one that really, really grabbed me, I have to say. That I was like, this is a fun, exciting movie and I just I just want to keep watching. And and you figured it out one movie earlier than the Fast and the Furious franchise. Um, (laughs) And and Graham, what about yourself? Do you remember the first time you saw Ghost Protocol? Um, I don't remember the first time like where I was all that but I do remember what I thought of it the first time I saw it and if I'm being honest um I wasn't that impressed um when I first saw it now this is what did you say when, when this was released 2011 2011 right so that's 11 years ago I'm 23 so yeah I, I must have had like not great tastes uh, in the film because every time like I've watched this a lot now Every time I watch it, I enjoy it more and more, because as we when we go into spoilers, on I have a lot of I had a lot of issues with the film when I first saw it, um, that I kind of love now. Okay, and it's really interesting because it's it's weird now because I, I I find Ghost Protocol the more I watch it, the more I get out of it, and I had a, I had actually had a like a small revelation watching it this time, and just kind of had a chuckle to myself, and yeah, I just. It's very interesting to see a movie grow through multiple rewatches because I actually had my own uh, rewatch. I, wa- I rewatched the entirety of the films uh, with Breed. Um, my parents had the collection of the, all the films on DVD. And so we rewatched all of them simply because I, th- I just was in the mood for, uh, I think it was after Mission Impossible Fallout. That's the latest one. Fallout well, is the latest one, yes. Yeah, I think it was after Mission Impossible Fallout. I was like, yeah, let's watch all of them again. There's like and a, so we went through the entire catalogue. So you... It's really funny because Breed, I don't think, seen So you two. did all the homework. Breed, I, seen I want to copy all your homework. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now this is not... To be fair, this is like a year... Like, what was it? When was... Pro, when was... Uh, 2018, like, so it's, it's we, like... Yeah, yeah. Episode, so like, really. I've got memories of all the films, but like, yeah, I, I had a whole like... Graham was on our week, episode. We, we even... Yeah. We, we even... Yeah. You, we you even were, you were on I, there. I, 
I even set it up that we would watch one a week so that we wouldn't burn through all Aww, of them. That's lovely. So you wouldn't light the fuse. Yeah, exactly. Light the fuse. Has and that yeah, ever been was... a catchphrase of these of this movie? No! It's such a weird opening. Light the fuse. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that spoils too much. Yeah, that somebody at some point said light the fuse. <laughs> yeah, I mean it wouldn't be a Mission Impossible movie if, <laughs> if they, they didn't yeah. say it like the fuse. <laughs> With a movie, that thing they say all the time, like beat me up Scotty or play it again, Sam. Um, <laughs> um so Andrew, what about yourself? Did you did you see Ghost Protocol in theaters? Did you see it afterwards? Did you see it just for this podcast? I, funnily enough, you you know my um answer to the fifth and sixth movie. Yes. So I um uh, Rogue Nation, you know when I saw that because we saw it together. We saw it at, at the premiere. We did. With, with <laughs> <laughs> like Tom Cruise was uh being asked like um about the movie. Oh I remember this Simon yes. Simon Pegg was being asked about like Tom Cruise. And I I loved actually what Simon Pegg said. Is like is um is Tom Cruise like a, a little bit like Ethan Hunt? And he says, um, the big difference between Ethan Hunt and Tom Cruise is that Tom Cruise really wants to be doing the things he's doing. Yeah. He loves making uh, movies that like Ethan Hunt is a um, reluctant, reluctant hero. But Tom Cruise is the most kind of willing kind of um, actor and movie maker that the, that, the, the, that there is he, he just kind of um loves it it's his passion um which was which was quite kind of um uh, you know uh, uh, like an endearing thing to learn about somebody you oh, know yeah. when you enjoy something and you find out that the people who are making those things are doing it because they they love it it's not a cynical thing you yeah know? um but yeah that, there, there was that and then there was the podcast that we did on fallout and I think it was after having seen five and six and not having seen three and four that I watched four. Yeah. So I had watched one and then had missed. Andrew's hatred of JJ. I watched no, like, sorry. Aggressive. I'd, like, I, I'd watched the first two. Yeah. And then, and then four. <laughs> no, I watched the first two, then five, then six. Then four. Then four. Yeah. And I'm still yet to see. Still yet to see three. And now feeling particularly pushed on it, Andrew says. I, I don't hate uh, JJ Abrams. Like I uh, like you know. JJ Abrams gets into a lift with Andrew, and he goes, "I don't think of you at all." <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah. No. But, actually, yeah. Maybe that's the damning thing. I don't know. Do, would JJ Abrams prefer if I hated him? Would it <laughs> Would it make him feel vindicated? More this than is a very existential question kind of about J.J. Abrams for a podcast about Brad yeah, Bird. Sorry, sorry, um, <laughs> let's let's face it; it's not it's not bird watching season. It's cruise control. <laughs> we're, we're, we are now in cruise. Well, that, I think this is interesting because it's a bird movie where it has like four or five different auteurs. It's the first time he's not the sous chef in the kitchen. He's just, I would argue, part of the team. Like, there's all this other stuff that's happening around. He's it, not and the I Remy. Think... He's the. Colette. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that we're we're both like, yeah, well, he's not Linguini anyway. Well, he's certainly not the Linguini of this particular movie. Uh, but so, Graham. I. Do you think Ghost Protocol is one of the two? Oh, really? What? 
We really do. Okay, I thought, I'm surprised we're doing this. Uh, it's one of the 250 greatest movies ever made. Well, since it's not in the 250 list, no. Like, no, I do not. Okay. It's a great film. It's a great film. It's not the best. It's not even the best Mission Impossible. Um, no, it does not deserve. It is not one of the 250 fil- best films of all time. And D, what about yourself? No, I don't think so. And to be honest with you, we'll get into this more in the spoiler territory, but I probably had more problems watching it this time round than I did the first time watching it. Oh. So is this because you watch Tomorrowland? Has <laughs> Tomorrowland retroactively? It has sullied <laughs> everything. No, no, uh, no, I'll get into it. I'll get into it. I'll find you. I know where you live, Darren. <laughs> Okay. Hey, I'm here too. I thought you were going to go after me for not liking <laughs> yeah, Tomorrowland. Yeah. No. What the hell was that? Yeah. Like, I'll, I'll, I, I, you'll have to go to me to, to, okay. to, to get to Darren. Like, I'll, 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 I'll defend See you soon. In my life. Okay, okay. This has gotten very intense. Um, Andrew. I don't even care about any of the no, things we no, no. <laughs> But I care about Darren. Oh. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Do you think? Listen, my soul has a gun. <laughs> Don't! I was going to get into that. <laughs> <laughs> when we asked, like, D, what is Ghost Protocol about? Does D have an answer this week? Um, but Andrew, what about yourself? Do you think Ghost Protocol is one of the two hundred fifty greatest movies ever made? Uh, no, no, I don't. And um, I, I, I do like it, but I wouldn't. If I had to pick a um, Mission Impossible movie to put um, on the list, I'd probably go for the De Palma. The, the, the first one. The first one, yeah. Interesting. I mean, I, it would be worth watching it again, but it kind of, like, I like, um, you know, um, uh, theatrical versions of John Reno movies <laughs> released in the <laughs> 90s. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and this one isn't directed by <laughs> it's not directed Great. by Luke Besson yeah I also like I like Luke Besson movies yeah. we were talking earlier off um, ab- ab- about the fifth uh, off the fi- r- record yeah. about the fifth element yes. off pod yeah um, uh, we do exist outside of this space yeah. um, but uh, yeah and, and for myself no I do not think so I think this is an incredibly charming movie I think it's a very well made movie I do not see any sense in which this belongs on a list of the 250 greatest movies ever made but perhaps a more interesting question Graham mm-hmm. is Ghost Protocol on your own personal 250 favourite movies of all time no, nope. uh, no, it's still a good film. How does it, how does it rank in terms of Mission Impossible movies for you? I mean, like two is very much the very low, 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 low. Okay, low I was bottom. worried you were going to say two is obviously the classic of the bunch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What what what's that classic line that Anthony Hopkins says about women? Yeah, that really resonates with me. But that was Robert no. Town really adding. He was like, I love that when they interviewed Town about. It, it's like, so I just came in and punched up the dialogue. I added some misogyny <laughs> for flavor. You know, it really just kind of synced it in. It's. Found, yeah. well, I mean, Anthony Hopkins is only in one of them. <laughs> yeah, he's only in one scene or two scenes. He's in uh, two scenes. He's in two scenes. Um, yeah, it's it's. Oh god, I think maybe it's in the middle, but the upper. I'd say it's close, closer, closer to the top than it would be to the bottom. I'd say two. Oh wait, is it two? Oh wow. Oh, is it after? Okay, there's a large gap, but it might be after one. It might be after two. Sorry. Okay. Because I really enjoy like the 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 kind of style of one um i mean 
three is absolutely brilliant with Philip Seymour Hoffman because it's such a weird departure from mm. the rest of them. Um, I love five, um, which is uh, I love Sean Harrison five. He's so goddamn weird. Yeah. Uh, I was, and then you have six Henry Cavill yeah. and him reloading his arms so goddamn cool I mean that I've, fight in that bathroom scene alone is just so interesting uh, so yeah weirdly it's wow it's it's the second lowest but there, like when I say second lowest it's there's a large gap like what, two is bad but I re- and I really enjoyed I really enjoyed this but yeah it ha- it's weird it is, it's lower on the totem pole I thought it'd be a little bit higher but when you look at the other films, I do enjoy the other films more. Okay, so just to run down your order, it is uh, 6, 5, 3, 1, uh, 4, 2, right? Yes. Okay. Yes, and that that might shuffle depending on on mood, I think. But, but 2 is definitely never going to change that. All right. That. I love, there's going to be a test at the end of this. <laughs> I, love, I, love, I love bike foo, but like it doesn't save a film. Uh, and D, what about yourself? I guess the same set of questions. Is this on your own personal 250? Where does it rank in terms of the, the franchise as a whole? You said that it saved your watch of it the first time. Yeah. Is it still the best of them for you? To be honest, I need to rewatch them because I, I only watched them all that one time. And then obviously there would have been quite a gap between Rogue Nation and... Fallout, although I have ended up watching Rogue Nation and Fallout twice because they're the ones that I enjoy more. Um, mm. I just can't remember the first three as well. I don't think that they're the same. I don't think they're as, you know, iconic as like, you know, those 80s action movies or some of the more recent films we've had, like the John Wick franchise. I don't personally think they're as good you know, action movies or as slick spy movies as, you know, some of the um, Daniel Craig films like Skyfall and Casino Royale. Um, so I, it's an enjoyable franchise for me. and It's not one of my favorite. And I think because of that, probably none of the movies would be in my top 250. But at that, of all of them, my favorite is Fallout, I'd say. Okay. Um, and then Rogue Nation. And I kind of have to revisit the others because, like I said, I don't really remember them. And um, as I said before, I had kind of more issues watching this this time round than um, than I expected to. I still like it as a movie, but no, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be one of my favorite for sure. All right. And Andrew, what about yourself? So it, like, is this on your own personal 250? And how does it rank of the five that you have seen? Right, <laughs> so I, I, I'm, I'm kind of inclined to, to, to rank the tree, like the, the, to rank the third one, sight unseen. Because you don't hate anyway. Abrams, yeah. Well, no, I, I suspect it might be one of the best, um, uh, Mission Impossible movies, even though I don't like Abrams, but I feel like, um, it's probably a good kind of rollicking action roller coaster and i think mission impossible has a villain problem where they're, yes. they're not really very good yes. but philip we'll seymour hoffman that, yeah. must uh, be Tower. like the the exception mm. um yeah and um so it, it it would it would kind of stand above and i think kind of other other franchises that we could mention 
whether it's James Bond or even, I think, Jack Reacher. <laughs> like, you know, they'll have a Werner Herzog yeah. in there who's, who's bitten off. Werner Herzog was terrifying his, in that one scene. He was like yeah. the only good thing about that movie. Um, I, I should... I, I should quickly say, actually, because I just to briefly, sorry to cut across you there, Andrew, but I should have actually just finished that. I know I need to rewatch them all, but two is still definitely my least favorite. I just, (laughs) I just can't. I Hey, hey, you haven't rewatched it. No, no, for sure. I remember really, really not liking it and be like, will they stop fucking swapping faces because this is getting ridiculous. (laughs) Hey, does it make you feel better that Dougree Scott missed out on uh, Aragorn because of that film? No, he missed out on Wolverine. Oh, I thought he missed out on... No, it was Wolverine. So the issue issue was that Cruz was working on uh, Eyes Wide Shut with Kubrick. He was like, this is an easy shoot. This will be done in like four months. Two years later, they're like, okay, so we got to push Mission Impossible 2 again. And Dougray Scott is like, this is going to finish in time for me to do like that X-Men movie where I'm playing Wolverine, right? And they're like, sure, sure it will, sure it will. And it turns out it did not. And they had to cast Hugh Jackman out of Oklahoma. He was doing Oklahoma on Broadway. Um, oh, I was just going to quickly finish. I re- I want to rewatch one and three for which I remember because one is like the classic go to. And then I'm with you, Graham. I remember there being something about mm-hmm. three that I was kind of oddly charmed by, but I can't remember it. I just have that vague association. So it's it's the fact that he's trying to be normal. I think that people are just like, oh, he's trying yeah. to be normal. That, that kind of. And I do uh, remember really liking Philip Seymour Hoffman in it. Um, yeah. You know what? Before the next two I suppose come out I'll probably rewatch them all but I'll like wait mm. till closer to that release uh, and in terms I, of oh, yeah and I'd say one one five six three four two maybe <laughs> Wow. In what order? Interesting. I feel like I'm, I'm supposed to enter this code into, like, into something to unlock the podcast. You put three off. which you haven't seen in fourth place. You can't do that. It's his list. He can do whatever he wants. That's the two I'm, bits. I'm, I'm, I think I'm... What, what, this I, is a movie about a list said, that this movie doesn't appear on. This is a, a podcast about a, a list on which this movie doesn't appear. One, one five, six, uh, three, four, two. Let's or, go with... Or, uh, or what, where are you going? Are you going descending or ascending? Let's go with six three eight seven two one four. Um <laughs> No, they they I'm I'm rating uh three ahead of four oh, and two. Interesting. So two ah. isn't my favorite <laughs> Mission Impossible movie. That's a good thing yeah. to, uh, I hate to hear it. Uh, Two's good. I, 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 no, no, but the movie we're talking about is four. So we're gonna get into some interesting stuff in a moment, I think. So it's both it's both Graham, Are they Brad Graham and I both put uh two and four as like our bottom and second bottom. Yeah. You um, below a and movie I, you and haven't I like, seen. I like this movie. <laughs> okay, all right. Maybe I'll put three below uh four in between like two and four. Maybe I'll put it below no, too. Who knows? Um, <laughs> but at, maybe a mystical eight will appear. Um, but there, there, there is going to be like a seven and an eight. Right? There is. Yeah. They've already shot yeah. them. Yeah. There's like yeah, part yeah. one and part Dead two. Dead reckoning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I've seen that. Cool. And for yeah, the trailers look great. Um, I mean, again, I'm I'm a big fan of this franchise. I quite love it. Uh, there are reasons that I love it that we'll talk about when we talk about what the movie is about. Um, it would not be on my list of favorite movies. If there is a Mission Impossible movie on there, it is probably either three or six. Um, I think three and six are by far the best movies in the franchise. Uh, three is heavily polarizing. So I suspect that Andrew's opinion of it will be dramatic, whatever it is. Um, but I think that four I'll for me... i an open mind, by the way, yeah. Dan. Yeah, I am. I, I... Yeah, I know. That's why you ranked it four. <laughs> <laughs> it could go either way. It's in the middle. It's, yeah. Yeah. 
I'm not saying I hate it. It's probably better than some movies I've seen. Um, what I, what I will say, I love that this is what the podcast has become. Um, it's just so absurd. <laughs> Cruise is everything. Nobody is disagreeing with you, Dee. <laughs> like it's one thing if you hate to so much that you would put a movie you hadn't seen above that but, but you're putting it above yeah. a movie you like <laughs> that's, that's oh. like that's the extra like four dimensional chess this of it this movie that we're talking about today right is, is kind of weird and, yes. and dumb and all yeah, of them are weird um, but yeah. It, yeah, it's, yeah I guess like not, I, I kind of want Mission Impossible to be like as clever as it kind of threatens to be and like like yes to have all the crazy kind of stuff that like Simon Pegg's character wants to 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 be in it but also for it like to be, to 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 feel kind of noir or something yeah or you to have a mean? sense of being about something or yeah, whatever like, yeah, grappling yeah. with big ideas rather than the, like just being like entirely silly yeah Rather than just being a collection of set pieces. Yeah, I think yeah. that's a fair assessment. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah, and I mean, I, I like this movie a lot, but yeah, I don't think it's on my own personal 250. If I were ranking them very quickly off the top of my head, it would probably be uh, in first and second place, six and three. I've got no idea of the order. Uh, it depends whichever one I watch last. Uh, in third and fourth place, it's one and one this, um, probably one higher than this. And then in final places, it's five and two. Um, and it's a two is very firmly the worst of the set, I would agree. Five uh, and two? Five and two. I I think five doesn't have a strong vision, which is ironic right. given I know Macquarie. I can't directs. remember what happened in that movie. Five has the opera scene that basically rips off Quantum of Solace yes. and means you never have to watch Quantum of Solace ever again. That's the thing that I remember about five. That's People okay. give so much props to five. Before that opera scene, yeah, that they sold from another movie. I think because people love Rebecca Ferguson in that film. Well, there's some there's some great um action set pieces in it. You know, yeah. like um, the plane, the famous plane sequence. The plane. The Arc de Triomphe <laughs> as well, you know, that bit. Yeah. Um, so I think that's why it that's why it has such a good reputation is for the set pieces. I mean, no one said it. No, no one agreed. But I'll say it again. Rebecca Ferguson's pretty great now. Oh, I do like she, her. She yeah. is, but she's also great yeah. in Six as well. And Six also has a host of other stuff that's also great as well. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, again, I people like Five. I'm lukewarm on Five. I like Five a lot, but it's the weakest of the good ones, I would argue. And then Two is just a bad movie. Um, and then Graham, mm -hmm. if listeners have not seen Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, would you recommend that they pause the podcast and stream it to a local device? It is available on Paramount Plus. Should they choose to accept it? Uh, <laughs> yes, yes, completely. It's a it's a brilliant film. It's a really interesting film. Um, yeah, there's nothing really else to say. It's go watch it and come back to us then. And D, what about yourself? Would you recommend that listeners pause the podcast? And stream it to a local device that may or may not self-destruct after two hours and six minutes. So I'm going to give a bit of a controversial one. <laughs> because <laughs> if you're listening to this podcast, you should watch the movie before listening to the <laughs> podcast. But it's too late. If you have no interest in the Mission Impossible movies, this isn't the one that's going to get you on board. Interesting. But didn't it get you on board the way that you kind of described it? Yeah, but because I'd watched one, two and three uh, and okay. I still hadn't really like warmed up to it. Um, and I think that one really did help, you know, in kind of being iconic. And there is something kind of 
I don't know, there's something kind of classical and charming about the first one in that um, it is more of the spy thriller variety rather than the action movie, which the series kind of became, if that makes sense. Well, the problem is a Hitchcockian, um, like a big fan of Hitchcock, and there's a yeah, lot of Hitchcock exactly. in there, yeah. Proper theme There tune you go. Exactly. As well. Thanks to Bono. And, no, no, it's not Bono on the Edge. It's Adam Smith, Adam Clayton, and uh, it's the other two. They, the, and Larry Mullen. And Larry Mullen. The two of them split up. It was Bono and the Edge did Goldeneye, and the other two did Mission Impossible, which is amazing. Oh, sorry, sorry, dear, yeah, I cut yeah. you off there, but that's that's all. Um, but like, if any, if any, you should definitely watch the first. Um, I think that probably most people have seen the sixth because of like Henry Cavill and because like, you know, given its box office smash, I would just assume most people have seen um, the sixth. But I'd probably watch the first and I'd recommend the sixth if you're big into action. And then the other one is, I don't know, you could kind of, you could kind of take or leave. Three, three has a really cool action scene where a plane fights Tom Cruise and Tom Cruise loses. Yeah, but could... It's really cool. But could you just watch like... Like when it comes to like, again, we'll get more into it in the spoiler zone. But when it comes to like the set pieces that define these yeah, movies, yeah. could someone not just get like a high quality, like you show know, reel of the version best of, them. of them on YouTube or whatever? Yeah, exactly. Would you get the same out of that? I would say with three, three, you could easily jump into it because it's almost like a soft reboot. The way that to- the way that the character of Ethan Hunt is introduced. Well, why is that necessary the of, uh, then? Like, you know, what it- but it's not, no, but the, the question was, could you watch it? Uh, and I think you could for Philip Seymour Hoffman's performance alone for the characters that are actually in it. I find are actually very interesting characters, which made me a bit sad that only one of them returns for this one. Cause I liked Jonathan Rhys Myers. I know there's many issues with him and well, Jonathan Rhys Myers is terrible. I liked him in it. He's like, like he's one of those guys who looks Welcome very, to 15 minutes talking about Jonathan Rhys Myers. He looks really good but like then you watch him act and it's like Yeah, he's uh, good looking. Yeah, you're not, that, that you're is not the term, good at good acting looking. though. Uh, I thought he was good enough. <laughs> but but I just yeah, so I suppose my overall point is I if you haven't been invested in the Mission Impossible franchise so far I think you'd watch Ghost Protocol and be like, yeah, this is exactly why I didn't want to get into this series. Sorry. That's just what no, I think. No, no, no. Not, not, not unreasonable, I think. Um, to, to Graham's point, I think what's interesting about 3 is arguably the only one of the set that has an actual story. Yeah. It's the most writerly of the set. It's the one that is structured like an Abrams movie, which is it's all about writing and it's all about mystery boxes and all about structures and reveals. And it's the only Mission Impossible movie that arguably isn't just a set of set pieces strung together. Yeah, it's not. because they're... I feel like you just described Knives Out with that whole writerly bit. <laughs> yeah, but, 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 it, but it is. like it, the, the whole thing about 3, what's interesting about 3 is that like 3 arguably doesn't have any great set pieces that stand up with the like even the motorcycle jousting the dangling from the ceiling any of the stuff that we're going to talk about here three is the one that actually just has a structure where like it begins with a flash forward and then the whole tension is how you get there and there's like who is the mole what's what's going on here what's the reveal what's the twist who's behind like it's it's the only mission impossible movie that is plot driven is the thing that i will say about three for better and for worse um yeah sure but andrew what about yourself would you recommend listeners pause the podcast and watch ghost protocol I mean, I would. I, I think I think Dee is right in what she's saying, that like if, if you don't feel the need to watch all of them, watch one and six, maybe. Yeah. Um, but, 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 but I think it is a fun franchise. I think, a, 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 like, there are some, like, um, uh, boss, as all 
heck uh, like scenes in this movie yeah. and in the franchise like um pretty reliably uh, broadly yeah there's it, it gives it, it there there and and there, it, it's like i i mentioned wanting it to to be a little less silly but there's a lot of silly stuff in this movie that i really enjoy there 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 are some great kind of like comic lines there's other stuff that i don't like as much but um but I, 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 I think overall there's enough in this to 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 recommend that somebody watch it. Yeah, uh, and I, I would agree with that. I think this is a really, really fun time. I'm quite glad that we're covering it, even though it's not on the list, because it's the kind of movie that was never going to be on the list because it's a bunch of set pieces strung together. But it is like a showcase of like cinema as a cinema of spectacle, of skies and yeah. scale. Very famously, like half an hour of this was shot in IMAX. Um, Bird made a choice to shoot in IMAX uh, because he wanted it to be shown on good projectors, which I really like. Again, this like Bird being Bird, where it's like, look, this is hard work. Uh, I want to make sure that it's going to be seen on the best screens possible. Uh, most movie projectors are crap. Most bulbs in most movie projectors aren't changed or maintained or properly stored. If I want people to go and see this on opening weekend and really love it, I have to put it in a format that is so expensive that the equipment showing it will be of the highest technical caliber. And he was... See, he is Edna Mode, guys. <laughs> like, it's just... <laughs> it is true. Like, he, he got a week-long engagement in IMAX before it was released. And, like, not to spoil, like, what the fate of Tom Cruise and the Mission Impossible franchise was, we say, after talking about the two movies that have followed it and the two more that will follow those, this was the highest-grossing Mission Impossible movie to this point, and it was a massive financial success despite having a lower budget and a tighter shooting schedule. And a large part of that was down to the fact that it opened on a fewer number of screens because it opened in IMAX first and the word of mouth from those IMAX screenings was phenomenal because this is a movie that was designed to be seen on as big a screen as possible calibrated as beautifully as it is uh, it is just a joy it is a cinematic joy I had a lot of fun with this just as a rollicking adventure I, I think it's in it's it's interesting for me There there is a whole slew of movies that i haven't seen and that I, I caught up with quite late that came around this time i think it was while i was living in london i hardly ever went to see a movie and whenever i did it would be a kind of like an artsy movie that was never going to get in the the 250 that was like in a like a small theater and that i would see advertisements for things like thor and uh, captain america and which are also 2011 releases and, yeah. yeah yeah where where I was seeing advertisements for them everywhere, but like kind of not not going to any of them. I guess. And I mean, again, not to get into the stupid debate about like Marvel movies and franchise entertainment, the Mission Impossible franchise, I have a huge soft spot for because they all feel different from one another. Mm. Like one feels different from two, two feels different from three, three feels different from four, five feels different from from four. Like they all have a very different texture and feel to them. The stunts that they do are different from one another, the way in which they're shot and their tones even are slightly different. Like this is, I think Bird himself has said he wanted this one to be the funny one of the set he wanted this to be the movie that has the sense of humor which i think andrew's kind of alluded to yeah for good or for and so, some, so, sometimes it hits and sometimes it doesn't yeah. and maybe some of that is like us watching it in 2022 or whatever but um like i i, I don't think it's a, a, a egregiously in 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 bad taste but i think it, it's like you watch it now and you're kind of like yeah that's not really funny yeah you're um there 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 there's there there and to be clear as well, going back, there are some funny lines and some funny kind of parts to this. Yeah. 
All right, but yes, I, I would recommend it, particularly if you have a big screen, if you have a good home sound system, if you want to watch a movie that is, like, Harry Styles describes a movie that feels like a movie. Um, this kind of, like, really kind of feels like that for me. With that in mind, we'll segue neatly into the spoiler zone. Now, because I am convinced that I will manage to convince Dee and Graham to come back to talk about Tomorrowland next week, and because I want to ask Graham about that movie next week, Dee, what is Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol about for you? Graham's shaking his head, but you know you want to. Oh, yeah, because I can get bullied about it. Yeah. You're not going to get bullied. Okay, okay, anyway. What are you so afraid I might, of? I might like it. I will I, watch it again, and I might like it more the second time around. I'm going to give it every chance. Have the courage um, of your convictions, Graham. Like, come, 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 see, I'm come, already. Com, convince us of why Tomorrowland is a good movie. You, I haven't, Andrew hasn't seen I it. Like, I, I, I've never seen it. But and 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 you're 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 behaving like like it's a fait accompli, you know. I, I love Andrew speaking authoritatively about movies he hasn't seen. Where it's like, look, we're all gonna hate it, Graham, but you have to convince us. I didn't us. say I'd no, hate I, it. I, I know, I, I know. I, but the way I'm, you said, like, so D, us. so D, what is Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol for you? I do not hate Tomorrowland. So what if Tom Cruise's soul had a gun? Yay. And what if Tom Cruise's gun had a soul? Wow. Interesting. That's what it is about for me. Uh no, I just I just had to bring that back <laughs> in. Um but I don't know if it's really about anything. Um it's just like kind of a fun uh action movie. Uh they tie in some great set pieces in there and some not so great set pieces which I'll get into. Um and uh, yeah, it's just kind of Tom Cruise doing his Ethan Hunt thing. <laughs> I found um, I found uh, the I'm, which I'm sure we'll get into, Darren, the background to it. Interesting how it was going to be the film to wrap up yes. that character of mm. Ethan Hunt and ended up very much kind of giving him a, a boost back to life. And then I also found the film quite interesting in relation to, um, you know, uh, Darren, you were talking about um Brad Bird is an objectivist in the last um, few podcasts. And I did read up a bit more about that. And you can kind of see the that theory perhaps relating in some way here. Um, Ethan Hunt is a man who is very good at, at his job. Um, now, I would kind of push back against the idea that he is a hesitant here and he doesn't really want to do it. I think that there is, and maybe this is also where... Ethan Hunt and Brad Bird like kind of <laughs> cross over. But uh, I think that he acts like he's more reluctant than he really is. <laughs> I think that he actually secretly loves it, that he is the only one who can do these crazy things like scale the, and uh, sorry if I'm mis mispronouncing it, the Burj Khalifa building. I think he kind of loves it. And I remember oh, the build up to that scene is just so ridiculous how they're like, there is no way that it can be hacked from the inside. It absolutely has to be from the outside. Is there no other way? Yes, there is no other way. And it's like, 
we guys, we get it. He's going to climb it. Can you just get outside already? You know, <laughs> exactly. It was hey, just, it was the, getting a bit silly. You know, this isn't Hannaway um, here. This yeah. is, uh, this is Eaton Hunt. I think he can handle. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, sorry, yeah. Carter. Um, we all loved Hannaway too. We, we, <laughs> yeah. But I suppose, yeah, that's a big part of what this is about for me. It's kind of Brad. What if Brad Bird? did an Ethan Hunt movie and how much does he see in Ethan Hunt and how much can he bring to that character of Ethan Hunt? Um, I think that there is, much like his other movies, there's kind of a cheekiness and there's an obnoxiousness to Bird's protagonists. Again, maybe a bit reflective of the um, director himself. They're not (laughs) necessarily brought down to earth. In fact, usually they're elevated. Um, in terms of status. Right. And I mean, even watching the opening of this movie when Cruz is uh, breaking out of the prison and they use that song, Ain't That a Kick in the Head? I thought that was almost that Brad. That was a bird idea. That was almost Brad. Well, there you go. It was Brad Bird showing off because he was like, I can get away with something this cheesy, this silly, mm-hmm. this obvious. And I can get it because I know I can pull it off exactly here in this moment. Uh- um, so that's quite admirable, but I have I have issues with the film elsewhere, which we'll get into. I just think Tom Cruise was cruising through that scene so well. I oh well, okay. Thank you. The the thing about just to talk a little bit about like the birdiness of it, because again, we, this is a bird season ostensibly. Although this is you know obviously we're talking about Cruise and Macquarie, and we'll talk about Renner as well. About what the bird? <laughs> have you has anybody heard about the bird? The who mau mau. Not this Don't podcast. you know that the bird is the word? Um, but anyway, what, what I was going to say, uh, just just in terms of that, because I think Dee brought it up there, the idea of the reluctantness and the way in which Bird kind of maybe sees himself in Hunt or sees Hunt as a vehicle for his own interests and ideas. One of the things I find really interesting about Ghost Protocol is that it is a movie about like the failure of technology and how the only thing you can count on is exceptional people where like throughout this movie you have like failing technology like the glass cutter doesn't work uh red blue for glue red for dead and the glove doesn't work either for example you have even the 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 self-destructive device doesn't work Mm. um and like at the end of the movie you have crews saying look the only thing that didn't malfunction on this mission the lens was was us what the lens as well is (laughs) kind of like Hey, that person right in front of you is about to get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh, but that's, yeah. that's the worst like design ever. It's like if you see an assassin, it will send a no. message to your phone, so you will look down away from the person who <laughs> is trying. Not, but that's yeah. not what it was. That's not what it was. He'd gotten a message that there was an assassin in the area. He looked no, out to see no. him, and then no, 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 no. him. It's because the it it recognized what was in the lens. Yeah, it's that's so why hurt. it's such a recent photo. Yeah, that's why she's, she's wearing, wearing the, the same thing. Yeah, she's wearing. Uh, um, I thought so, it was fine. No, they 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 reveal it. We're not it complaining. Later on. We're not we're not critiquing the movie, Graham. Like but, I, I think uh, it's a point the movie's making is that technology hmm. you can't rely on technology is the point it's, the movie's making. It's also like Hannaway dies because he's a sexist. He <laughs> he rolls out of that um of that bouncy castle and shoots the first guy he sees. And then a woman comes along and he's like, hey, um, and, uh, let me just check my phone and see if you're a single in the area. And then he gets like, the murdered. The Hathaway has like his Tinder hooked up yeah. to like, the, the IMF. And that's like, what got him killed. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I saw this film. Maybe that's his kink. Yeah. Ooh, assassin. Um, I saw the film weirdly as a... <laughs> 
as as uh, Ethan Hunt learning to become a father. That's what I saw it as. I saw it as kind of like because he's taking all of these new recruits and all these like sorry younger uh, agents under his wing, and is teaching them how they can do the do succeed missions even without the technology, because there's there's a I think there's a. Does that mean he kissed his daughter? Oh God, no! Oh yeah, no. What it, what oh. I think it is, Graham is. <laughs> <laughs> is Graham looks so uncomfortable. Yeah. Sorry, Graham. It's not frozen. frozen. It. Sorry. Uh, no, it's just, it's just. I just thought that like he, he had a very. Yeah, God damn it! Yeah, it's ruined. It's it. no Star Wars. It's no Star Wars. <laughs> I mean, I would argue that I would argue that like Mission Impossible Three is more. Mission Impossible Three is more that because that's the one where like one of his trainees is in the field and lost, and he has oh, to yeah, go Kerry back. Oh yeah, Russell, who's in it? For, who Kerry Russell, who's in it because J.J. Abrams has a, yeah. a, a gave her a favor. Like, mm. Well, okay, but yeah, but also like he's worked with her since Felicity. They're creative partners. Yeah, like they're they're yeah. she's cool, but she's not. I have no attachment to her character because we've never seen her before. Why do you need that? You don't have any attachment to Hannity and or Hannaway. Um, Hannaway, yeah, I didn't Hannaway. care about him, and I didn't care about him. Oh, okay, I cared oh. what had happened. I had cared what had happened to Agent Carter because she had to live through it. Because I thought, again, I thought there was a great back and forth between the the four main characters of the film. I thought it was, um, I think that's what I kind of really like about the film, is the fact that there's, that Brad Bird brings his kind of charm and direction to allow for a very uh, familial, uh, god damn it, uh, I'm not thinking about the kiss. Uh <laughs> Can I come in on that one? Probably. I think I think I think I think Ethan Hunt is avoiding having a family yes. by having a found family. And the yeah, best yeah. thing about a found family is you can like kiss whoever Don't. you like. Don't <laughs> <God, don't. laughs> okay. two, two things Well the reason I brought that up by the way is because of the sexism, but yeah. I'll get into that oh, oh, after, oh, after yeah. you Darren. No, listen, there that's that's also an issue towards that well, yeah, I, I mean, yes, Brad Bird is very much a, a, a man in his, uh, at this stage, like late 40s and, and kind of like, it's very telling that he goes on and does The Incredibles too, which is what if women could work and men stayed at home and minded the children? Wouldn't that be hilarious? Um, and I like- He had learned that two years previously. I like Incredibles too, but that is very much a, wow, the gender politics of the 60s are sure are progressive. Um, but I do think that, like, to Graham's point, the idea of the found family and the father figure, there are- two things i think to unpack there and i think andrew is entirely right uh, about one of them which we'll get to in a second but to graham's point specifically the idea of ethan hunt as a father figure is very much what paramount wanted this picture to be mm. this was designed to be the mission impossible movie that would write tom cruise out it would replace yeah jeremy renner was to take over wouldn't it yes yes he was <laughs> that's happened a few times <laughs> oh that, that's like this With is born yeah and, this yeah. Is, yeah yeah like it was born was around the time wasn't it his time his ten born, his time to take over was around the born legacy was 2012 the following year so he popped yeah. in the hurt locker um, in yeah. 2011, he appears as Hawkeye in Thor, and he Woo. appears obviously as Brandt here. Next year, he's going to appear in the Bourne Legacy as well. Yeah. And what's kind of incredible is that, like, <laughs> poor Jeremy Renner, yeah, no, trying like... to take over and then <laughs> failing every time. He and... was meant to. He was. There were. There were. He was going to be like. Uh, you know, you've got like Facebook. Alphabet, Netflix. Oh yeah, the Renner app. The Renner app. It was going. Renner app was going to be like. It was going to be. It was going to be Frank. Yeah. Um, hey, he had a whole yeah. album. 
Yeah. Oh, like, have oh you watched God. The Umbrella Academy has House of the Rising Sun by Jeremy Renner yeah, on Yeah, his soundtrack. version of House of the Rising Sun. It's, it's one of the most incredible captions I have ever seen is House of the Rising Sun by there's, Jeremy Renner begins to there's play. So mu- there's so much to Jeremy Renner. So like, many facets. The, there's so much. The, the movies, the apps, the music. He's a Renaissance his personal man. life. <laughs> um, we don't have time Renee, to get into all of them. <laughs> I, just say, I'd say, I'd still say his best film is maybe Wind River. Yes, I think he's Said great. That. He's very good in he's that. Great yeah. Wind River. Yeah. He's a good actor. He is. It's just oh, yeah. I feel sad. Yeah, but it still hasn't really happened. I think yeah. I think he's quite funny as well. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. I miss I miss Brandt. I miss Brandt in the latest Mission Impossible. Oh. I missed him a lot. Oh, oh Graham. Graham. Oh no, what? Graham. You know, you know the deal. You know how like completely Renner got screwed here, right? You you no. are aware of the magnitude of screwing that happened to Renner. No. Um, Renner wasn't in Avengers Infinity. I don't think he's a very nice guy anyway. No, he. So he, so, yeah. so like, let's not feel too sorry for uh-huh. him. I mean, I mean, he's also making that Marvel money. Yes. So I'm not. And he renovates houses. Yeah, but I liked. I'm sorry, but I liked. I liked Brant. I I like Brant in the film. You think he's a firebrand? Um, no, no, I I'd agree with you, Graham, and and I I I think whatever he kind of like does, uh, I think what, he's a good performer. I think yeah, he's a really yeah, interesting actor. Exactly. Like I think yeah. his work is yeah. generally quite good, and he's fascinating yeah. to watch. Um, yeah. Like I think Mark Wahlberg as well is a guy who's like good in a lot of things. Bit if, of an asshole if, though. If yeah, uh, if, no, and, and an asshole, um, and also has perhaps never kind of reconciled or uh, reckoned with his yeah but he's never really become the star that he kind of threatened to be like 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 are you kidding the, 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 the logical ending to that sentence is reconciled with his assholeness <laughs> but what Sorry. Mark Wahlberg makes like crazy money yeah he, he does, does. He's the highest paid actors he is like when you get those top 10 lists he's that Michael Bay money there. god damn it yeah sure yeah I suppose yeah I suppose we, we the, maybe I'm thinking of like him not in terms pre- of prestige, is it? No, in yeah, terms of like being recognized as yeah. one of the great actors of his generation. He's been in like, like the Martin Scorsese movies, but he's not Martin Scorsese's guy. Yeah. Like um, like Leonardo DiCaprio or or that that he could potentially be in a um, yeah, he has this long term relationship, but it's with Peter Berg, for example. Right. Like his long term creative partnership is with Peter Berg rather than somebody like Scorsese or Spielberg yeah. or. Or then he's uh, being Nolan like or... given chances by uh, like David O. Russell. Like he's worked yeah. with some good kind of. Well, sorry, David O. Russell is hit and miss, <laughs> but I do like the fighter. Yeah. yeah. Um, but to, to bring us back to Renner, like what I find fascinating sorry. about Renner is like Hollywood pushes him so hard, and in every case, he bounces back. It's like he's in the Bourne legacy, but it's okay because we're going to bring back Matt Damon for the next <laughs> sequel, Jason Bourne. Uh, he's in this movie, uh, but it's like, oh, by the way, Tom Cruise halfway through decides, no, he's not going anywhere. And we'll talk specifically about that in a moment. But even like, say, uh, the Avengers franchise, where he's supposed to be in Avengers Affinity War, but he's not because he's on contract for Mission Impossible 6. But then he shows up for Mission Impossible 6 and they're like, you know, what? we don't actually need you for this movie, Jeremy. Brand isn't in this movie. So that's the uh, reason why Renner isn't in Infinity War. It's is, because- he, is he in 7 and 8, maybe? Um, I don't know. I think everybody's in 7 and 8. Um, but, but the I thing with Renner... What? <laughs> but Renner, uh, like, and Renner is quite open about it doing press. He talks to MTV of all places and he's like, it's a franchise to potentially take over. <laughs> I can't predict the future and what they want. But it's certainly the idea, is what he says. You know, 
What happens in the next movie? Who can tell, he says with a winkle in his eye, waiting to inherit the kind of franchise. And the idea is that at the climax of this movie, Cruz's character, Ethan Hunt, is going to have his leg broken (laughs) and he's going to end up being promoted to secretary. And so he'll be like the M character for the franchise going forward. And apparently what... Yeah, he was... No, go ahead. ahead. So I think the idea is he's supposed to uh, replace... um... Tom Wilkinson's character, who we see assassinated in the movie. And there's kind of this surreal experience. I don't know if you guys have it. Maybe it's because I haven't seen, like I said, the earlier ones in so long. But I keep forgetting who is in which one. Yeah. And Tom Wilkinson, I was convinced had been in three. And then it turns no. out, no, he's just in this one scene yeah. in the <laughs> fourth. They and do maybe, it every film. Maybe, they do it every film. But I mean, maybe he maybe he had like uh, more scenes in it originally before the Christopher McQuarrie rewrite. I don't even know. But Tom Wilkinson is there and then he's just gone. The scene is played like, <laughs> whatever happens, Ethan, I want you to remember that I've thought of you as a friend. And it's like, What? Where is me, I mean, I, I have a problem. I have that issue with every Mission Impossible because his superior is always played by someone different. Uh, in the first one, I can't remember who plays his superior in the first one. The guy in the restaurant. Well, it's John Voight. Jo- no. no oh, oh, okay. It's, well, you're thinking of Henry Cerny. Yeah. He's back for seven. Yeah, Henry. Yeah, Henry Cerny. You have the se- Angela Bassett. In- I th- I thought you were assassinated in that car. <laughs> <laughs> it's like no, that was Tom Wilkinson. <laughs> I'm sorry, you're thinking of Billy Crudup and uh, <laughs> Lawrence Fishburne. Yeah, they're in the third one. And then in the second one is Anthony Hopkins. It, then it becomes Alec Baldwin. Yes. <laughs> and then it's just like, Out they nowhere. keep changing the person. Either they get killed or for some reason they just get promoted. I'm not going to lie. I kind of like that. I like that kind of standalone aspect of it where there's no real connective tissue between like these first five Mission Impossible movies. I think yeah. six, because it's it's directed and written by Macquarie, who also did five, has a lot of carryover to it. Yeah. It looks like, you know, seven and eight are going to go back to the early movies as well. Yeah. But I like that by and large, you can like pop in any Mission Impossible movie and kind of just, it's like, oh, Tom Wilkinson was always the head of the IMF kind of thing going on. <laughs> uh, and I, I kind of, I, I think what I like about that is because modern franchises and like particularly around the time this is released which is what 2011 which is the launch of the MCU you've got like Thor and Captain America next year you'll have Avengers uh, you got Daniel Craig is, is playing Bond and those movies are becoming kind of incredibly interconnected and you have this, this kind of thing that Andrew's talked about where like a lot of modern franchises feel like obligation and kind of homework where you feel like you're you're obligated to go and rewatch them and you have to remember all the characters right. and you have to remember all the relationships from one film to the next. I, think- I like Mission Impossible as an outlier to that where all you need to know is Tom Cruise and then among the first five films you just watch them it's like, oh, this is a completely new set of characters yeah. you know, with, with one or two exceptions obviously along the way. I, I really like I love, that. I love, by the way, that Ving Rhames has managed to hang yeah, in there the whole time. And in this Vinny. one, he's literally on screen for like a minute. Yeah. But they were like, no, you're in everyone. Yeah, Come here. The and point. they just like make sure he's in it. Um, Like even Leia Do I forgot, was in this movie. This was very early. This was like pre-Blue is the Warmest. I, I mean, like Michelle, Michelle Monaghan has a... Yeah. Michelle Monaghan has a non-speaking role. Uh, yeah, okay, yeah. Well, well, we'll talk a little bit about those changes, because those Can, are changes Macquarie made to the script later on. They're very much reshoots. They're say, very much- like, um, uh, the likes of, like, like Alec Baldwin, like Angela Bassett, Tom Wilkinson, 
It's a it's a revolving door where they work with the IMF, the but, World but, Bank, Angela the European the, Central no, but Bank. They just get rotated. Alec, yeah. Alec, Alec Baldwin yeah, does. They go take back to Goldman Sachs. <laughs> like like Alec Baldwin does take over for six. Angela Bassett's in charge of the CIA, so that's different. She was but in charge the, the, of Henry Cavill. The Cavill's, thing is, so. the thing is that it's a fresh start each time. The idea is that yeah. it's accessible each time, and Cruise is the constant. That's the thing. This franchise exists in orbit of Cruise. And that thing that Graham mentioned to bring it all back full circle, um, I guess we'll talk more particularly about Renner later on. Because um, like one of the interesting things Macquarie does when he takes over the script is he he really nails Renner to the mast uh, in terms of the changes that he makes to the script. Yeah. Um, but basically with Cruise, the creating of a family around Cruise is Cruise is now an old man. He's now older. He's the dad. He's no longer the action hero. And that's what the Paramount want the film to be initially. But to Andrew's point, um, which is something that I think is very important here, Andrew made the observation, it was very astute, that Ethan Hunt is a character who has a found family to avoid having a real family. Um, what I would argue as an amateur cruisologist is that what happens with Ghost Protocol is a reconfiguring of Cruz's relationship to his audience and to his star persona in a way that, and I don't want this to sound cynical, it's going to sound cynical, I don't mean it entirely cynically, but... When Mission Impossible 3 comes out, Cruz is all very public about his relationship, his spiritual beliefs. He's the most open he has ever been about who he is to the public. He's giving interviews about how much he loves Katie Holmes. And Mission Impossible 3 is a movie about how Cruz is quite literally a guy you could have a beer with. Mm. That's the entire opening act of Mission Impossible mm-hmm. 3. Is he's, he's just so normal. It's boring. That's the entire point of the opening act. Whereas what happens is Cruz gets burnt for that. He goes away and he comes back and he comes back as somebody who is extremely walled off from the press, understandably, given what happened to him. Cruz, all of a sudden, is the guy that we joked about when we joked a couple of episodes earlier about how much he loves movies, where he won't give an opinion about which movies he likes because he's there's some anxiety about how that will be picked apart or deconstructed. So it's just like, I like all movies. That's what I do. And how much of the press of these movies becomes... Cruz is risking his life for you, the audience member. Look at this stuff that Cruz is doing for his art. Cruz climbing, I think, like, de-single it out. The big set piece where he climbs the Burj Khalifa, that sequence was all over the marketing. Mm-hmm. That was the entire publicity campaign for this movie, was look at Cruz risking his life. That famous selfie he took on top of the skyscraper and the fact that he did the stunt himself, which is incredible. I think it's an amazing stunt. I think the fact that he did it is incredible. I think it's amazing. But it does reconfigure Cruz as... Somebody who isn't a person, but he's a movie star and he is a movie star because he does movie star things. He's no longer accessible as much as he ever was accessible. He's now just this entity that exists to make movies. He's like a shark at this stage, almost to some extent. Sorry. He works as well because he's this guy who's like 50, who's still doing what he's doing because none of the young guys can hack it. Yes, that's exactly it. Like, no, this Top Gun as well is kind of the same. It's like we got a room full of, like, failed movie stars. Tom Cruise come in and show them how it's done. And it's like, I can't teach it. I have to do it. Yeah. Um, Which is to some extent what Mission Impossible kind of, sorry, what Top Gun Maverick is about. (laughs) Um, But yeah, that that is kind of like to tie those, those two kind of themes or two ideas together. What Graham mentioned about it being a movie where Tom Cruise is kind of a dad and Andrew's point that it's like, yeah, but he's a dad to a bunch of contemporaries and peers rather than an actual family because he's now just this guy who does this stuff. He's not really a human being or an entity. Like the, the, the entire point of this movie is he, he can't be a family man. 
he he needs to leave his wife. Now he needs to leave his wife for her own good. But it's like, I'm not a family man anymore. That's not who I am. I just disappear into the mist. When I'm making a Mission Impossible movie, I exist. Before the credits roll, I just literally vanish into thin air. There is no Tom Cruise outside of these photographs of me climbing the Burj Khalifa. And I think like Ghost Protocol is kind of like a big moment for him because that's the point where the audience go, this is the Cruise we can relate to. At what point are we going to talk about like the end of the of the movie okay let's talk about the end of the movie should we should we get it out of the way let's get it out of the way yeah because it doesn't really have anything to do with the rest of the movie no no because you have ving rames yeah <laughs> who hasn't been in the movie to this point yeah you also have michelle Manahan, who, who hasn't, been in, the movie hasn't been in the movie but um at some point between three and four and i keeping in mind i haven't seen three so <laughs> at some God. point at some point ethan hunt uh, Tom Cruise yeah. says to Michelle Monaghan's character um, or no Michelle says to him I'm worried um, <laughs> about our safety he's like oh I have the perfect solution um, oh. have you been to the former Yugoslavia <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and it's like we're going to go there and pretend to be um, Croatian and um, <laughs> uh I'm going to get these six Serbian guys to come kill us, but no, they're not going <laughs> to come kidnap you. They're going to take you while I'm out for a run, and then I'm going to kill all of them, <laughs> and that way you'll be safe. <laughs> How the hell was all of that off screen? Yeah. That's a great sequence you've just described. <laughs> Why isn't it in the movie? But I feel like I feel like you Either have to have them. a moment where Michelle Monaghan goes, "I have several questions about this." <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's like Jeremy Renner is like all that time I've been feeling guilty because when you were a Croatian <laughs> diplomat, I let um, and also a colleague, um, I, I let your 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 wife get kidnapped. Um, get murdered. I think murdered. I think, I think murdered. Yeah. They yeah. took her and killed her. Um, and 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 I, I've been I've been keeping that to myself. And honestly, the whole thing was kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the thing is, again, this is the, I think this is one of the aspects of the sexism that he kind of referred this to. This plan makes there's, sense. There's no, there's no what agency for What wife would agree to that? Like, but there's no agency. Like, Monaghan has no agency in this. Like, watching that entire sequence, my brain is going, yes, but what is her reaction when Tom Cruise pitches any of this? It's like, so, so this is kind of a divorce now. You're going to need to go back to your regular job being like a doctor. This is how I protect you. Yeah, it's like... By leaving you. Like, it has to be this way. Don't speak. No. <laughs> yeah, no. Quiet. This is Cassie Andrew raising his fingers at the silence Michelle Monaghan. Uh, but sorry, Dee, is, is that what you were referring to when you were kind of alluding to the sexism? I actually wasn't. I, I'm, I'm weird. I think that like little shot of her at the end is kind of sweet and romantic yeah. but I have I have weird tastes so um, that's not weird I completely agree I, I, I am a bit of a hopeless romantic so I do I do think it's quite sweet and I mean I also am watching it with the knowledge that they do give that story a proper conclusion in Fallout yes, um, I and I thought they wrapped more. it quite yeah. well um even though like she doesn't really get to do a whole lot in that movie either but it was it was a satisfying conclusion that uh, that 
they brought to it for a franchise which usually just you know kind Moves of on. pushes its characters to the side exactly uh no the sexism i was talking about was um the uh, Paula Patton being used as bait scene was just really, really uncomfortable. It really gave me the ick. The whole Tom Cruise kissing her to make your man jealous was gross. Yeah. Um, her having to seduce him. Even mm-hmm. that line from Ren, uh, Renner's character, William. Next time I seduce next the rich man. Next time I seduce the rich man. It's like, oh, so we're making. so we're, As if to cut. cut so we're cut making us. jokes about rape now. That's great. Like, what? it's just. Yeah. And homophobia. That too. But I mean, it's just kind of it's really it was really really ick and I mean I was watching the scene and I was being reminded of Blackbird you know that whole bit where like she comes in and tries to seduce him and if I I would never say it's that bad Blackbird is coming to my mind but I mean that's the whole thing is that we see those kinds of scenes with women in these kind of movies you know classical Bond movies and stuff come to mind Um, but it's just really ick and then you've got the whole and this was like for some reason, oh, everywhere in kind of the 2000s and 2010s, but these unnecessary short scenes where women had to be in their underwear for some reason, like Star Trek comes to mind. And at some point she is in her underwear in the car. And I know it's like just for a few seconds, but it's still, it it just gives me the ick. It's so unnecessary and it's just disgusting. So that was the sexism. Yeah, this is around the same time Scarlett Johansson has a similar scene in uh, Iron Man 2, if I remember correctly as well, where she's in the backseat of the car again. getting. Pro- uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's just so Dude. like you don't you don't need to show it. Can she not like be kind of, I don't know, pulling down in her one dread costume in one scene and another costume in another that scene? That's easy, you know, but it's just, yeah. I mean, so I have a re- uh, I took real um, issue with that. To be clear, it's worth noting Bird himself has said like in transitioning from animation to live action he talked a little bit about how he felt like going from animation to cgi to live action wasn't as difficult as going from like hand-drawn animation to live action would have been because you can move objects and stuff and you can do setups and you can do pre-visualization he found the hardest part for him was like talking to actors and he specifically singled out paula Patton in that sequence he had a great deal of and again i don't know what the context of that is whether it was he had difficulty explaining why she was doing what was in the script because it wasn't his script or she didn't want to do it and he was trying to convince her to do it. But he says those sequences were the hardest for him to direct um, in terms of talking to an actor and finding motivation um, for that sequence. Mm. He said that was one of the ones that really pushed him as a director um, because as an animator, you don't have to worry about like that direction. That's Michael Bay's strength <laughs> is, is telling actresses why they need to be in bikinis um, uh, um, and or, or in their underpants. It's um, like the all of his movies <laughs> will, will. Sorry, I shouldn't make light of it. There's also some classic racism, <laughs> where like the, the oh the, where the, the Anil the, Kapoor character or the Russian I mean I'm, or the, I'm, or any may, of the may, maybe I'm being I thought he was just a creep. Yeah, I'm, I'm, but it's like Indian men are hot. I feel I feel I feel I feel like I I mean I could be completely wrong. But and and uh, like I'm I'm getting offended on other people's behalves, but I feel like it's a quite a broad kind of a a, 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 a depiction of this kind of um, Indian. Uh, well, I mean, again, it's worth contrasting that scene uh, where she has to like seduce him with, say, a similar sequence in three, where Maggie Q has to like plant something on Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah, and that is a completely non-sexual scene, even though, of course, Maggie Q looks gorgeous and is presented as an an object for the audience's appreciation. But it's it's not like 
there's never a sense of it having to be this kind of like sleazy extended kind of thing seduction thing she literally just bumps no. into him and spills a drink on him if i remember correctly and then we have a then and then in this one we have a really weird cat and mouse game which is just really creepy oh that it with the phone is it the phone is so goddamn creepy i mean i'm i'm weird i'm morbidly i'm more morbidly fascinated by this scene because it is a well well structured scene it the the, the setting it looks gorgeous the character and but the character is just he's so he's such a creep and he's so gross and yet i'm i, I want to see her just break him because he's so awful but then it becomes this kind of weird, yeah. almost like S and M type thing. Which yeah, is, it's weird. Um, which it's again, like, is kind of it's like, like there's that, no balance to the scene. Isn't isn't King Kilarius kind of stuff? I don't look. It, yeah. It's, like the thing is that sequence exists again to put it in context. This is 2011. Avatar had just performed incredibly well in India. Tom Cruise had met Anil Kapoor during the promotion of Slumdog Millionaire. Uh, Tintin opened six weeks early in India. Ghost Protocol and opened six days. Uh, early in India. India was seen as like a big emerging market for movies. And so like, that is the reason why A, you have Anil Kapoor, who is this huge Indian star in the movie and why there's this extended sequence in India featuring him, um, which is fascinating. Apparently there were also allegations that Tom Cruise had paid Indian farm, Indian fans to swarm him at the prim- Indian premiere of this, which I find fascinating. The Guardian had to report on Cruise denying reports that he had paid fans to swarm him um, at the Indian premiere of this. But yeah, that's, that sequence is, is fascinating because it does feel weirdly like it's a Hollywood is like Indian movies are big. Foreign box office is huge. We need to find a way to capitalize on that. Let's bring in a big Indian actor. Give yeah, him a big set like, like I say, maybe I'm wrong. And maybe Indian people like saw this movie and they're like, oh, class. <laughs> it's, it's in India. They've got an Indian actor and like he, he's like a villain. Yeah. Um, uh, he describes it a guest appearance. It would be a special yeah. guest appearance, is what they call it in Indian cinema. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, um, to bring it back to kind of like the cruise stuff and the Macquarie stuff, because I think D alluded to this. One of the big things that happened, um, one of the big challenges uh, for Bird filming this was that this was being constantly rewritten, and not not to get too spoiled, but it does feel like a movie that is being written in real time. I think it kind of does. No, because I know, for example, um, Reef. No, they hadn't filmed yet when Christopher McQuarrie came in. Um, the interior for the the interior scenes for the Burj Khalifa thing, yeah. and you can kind of see how the the exterior action and the interior could have been written like very separately. So I don't know. There's just something. Um, yeah, and it kind of it kind of feels like it's going one direction, then it goes elsewhere. Yeah. There is something slightly disjointed about the flow of it all. It, it always feels as in as if the biggest possible stakes are the next thing. Yes. Like that, the, the, yeah. you know. And Whatever then happens what, next what, will be. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like, if we don't get this tape, <laughs> it'll, it'll, it'll be the end of us all. It's and like, okay, we get didn't the get the tape. But it's actually this briefcase. And if we don't get the briefcase, that'll be the end of us all. And no, it's, like, it's actually a satellite. Yeah. And it's like, so we haven't gotten any of those things. Yeah. But um, next one, next one's the big one. Yeah. Well, like Macquarie makes two big structural changes uh, to the script. And then obviously there's, there's the Tom Cruise stuff. Uh, the first big structural change that he makes to the script is that Originally, this is written to be much more like Mission Impossible 3, where the, again, because Mission Impossible 3 is the most writerly one, 
the MacGuffin is very literally a MacGuffin. It's the rabbit's foot. They never explain what it is or what it does. Mm. Just that it's something that the villain wants. And so our heroes have to stop him from getting. Uh, And, you know, obviously then it becomes this kind of thing that they chase over. And it's kind of abstracted. And obviously Macquarie shows up and he's like, no, it, it ne- these things need to be concrete things in order for the, the audience to engage with them emotionally. So we're going to explain at each step what the thing is. It's going to be the briefcase. It's going to be the codes. It's going to be the satellite. And we're going to lay out at every stage what the thing is, what it does, what its function is. And we're going to have the characters explain it in a way that is very simple and very easy to follow. And to be fair to Macquarie... I think he's right here. He's like, yeah. he's a very good writer and he's always very good talking about he, his writing and why he makes the decisions that he does. Like we're kind of picking at like the way this movie works on a, on a scene to scene basis and kind of like the intricacies of its plotting. And I think all that stuff is very fair. Yeah. Uh, but I do think like Macquarie is quite right to zero in on, on like emotional arcs and thematic stuff. I think Macquarie is very good at understanding like what audiences want and how to deliver it to them. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think like to give credit where credit's due. And he's also very good at kind of rationalizing why he makes the decisions that he does. The other big structural change that he makes the movie is that originally Julia was meant to be dead. She was like unironically dead. The story was that she'd been killed Ethan had kind of lost his mind and he kind of gone into to captivity and was coming back to his job. And basically Macquarie says, look, you cannot do that. I'm going to quote Macquarie here just because he's, he's very good talking about writing. Emotionally, if Julia's dead, no matter how this story turns out, I'm sad. A hundred means you're at 90 because no matter how well Ethan wins, he's carrying this failure that you've alluded to the entire movie. You've got to let the audience off the hook tonally in Brad Bird's Mission Impossible. The other thing going on was that Jeremy Renner had a different backstory. His character, Brandt, he was still an agent that was now an analyst, but the reason he couldn't go back into the field was because he'd hesitated, and his hesitation led to the death of two nameless agents. In this event, I think they referred to as Wright River. It became the code for this unhealed scar in the past. I said, first of all, let's try to reintegrate Tom's story with Jeremy's story so that the Jeremy story is actually relevant to the movie. Right now, it feels like there are two movies happening. Uh, and again, like that's that's kind of notable because if you read between the lines, that's very much we're making Jeremy's story subordinate to Tom's story. He doesn't get his own story or his own agency. He's just part of Tom's. He's a pawn. He exists in the orbit of Tom Cruise. <laughs> and then he also says and goes and says and goes on. Again, no matter how you resolve Jeremy's story, even at 100, you're at 90 because he still hesitated and those two guys were still dead. Whereas if we integrate the story to say that Jeremy feels responsible for the death of Julia and at the end of the story, we find out Julia's not dead and Jeremy finds out Julia's not dead, you get to use that emotional engine, but then you get to let the audience off the hook at the end. You'll notice you don't really hear it discussed that Julia's dead until Jeremy Renner tells the story. The notion of death doesn't come up until you're 70 minutes in, as opposed to right at the beginning of the story. So every time I look at Ethan, I'm thinking, poor guy, his wife has died. So yeah. I, like, I think the rationalization that Macquarie gives there for the decision that they make to suddenly reveal Julia is alive in the final scene in the movie makes a certain amount of sense emotionally and kind of like in terms of making a feel-good movie. Uh, and then, of course, the other big change he makes is the Tom Cruise thing. Apparently, it's Macquarie who comes in and says, you cannot replace Cruise uh, with Renner. And to be fair, Macquarie is Cruise's guy. So I do, you know, it's impossible to know whether Macquarie is in acting entirely of his own volition there or acting as an outside party on behalf of, of Cruise. 
Uh, but he does make, he basically, his big changes structurally all serve to make Renner subordinate um, to Cruz. We mentioned the idea that Jeremy is no longer, that Renner no longer has his own separate arc. Uh, it's now part of Cruz's arc. Yeah. Uh, and then we also, you have like throughout the movie, you have sequences where Renner is supposed to do things, but he just doesn't. Yeah. So he's completely useless at various points in the movie. Uh, for example, most obviously, like there's a sequence where Leia said Drow um, and Paula Patton are fighting and Renner bursts into the room holding a gun. But it's Patton who kicks Cedro out the window, making Renner completely useless. And then at the climax of the movie, you have Renner like fighting hand to hand with the other like henchman goon. But it's not Renner who kills or defeats him. It's Benji who shoots him. And again, Macquarie said, look, that was important to us to pay off Benji's story, like as an agent in the field to demonstrate that he had grown and evolved and changed. But it does also feel, if you look at it, like it exists largely to make sure that Renner is completely useless during the movie and doesn't do anything the audience is going to particularly remember or care about. Pretty much. I do. And it's a shame, I guess, because like he's interesting in a... as a character being this guy who's it was introduced as this analyst and then you find out that oh hold on wait a second he can you know, do stuff yeah that, that and there's something really kind of like compelling about that i i, I but I like it, it's, it's very like and he's... you you feel like there is a reason why he's been put in this situation which hasn't been revealed to <laughs> yeah. any of them but it's actually that they haven't revealed to Renner that, like, he's a, <laughs> that they're never going to reveal. That they're like, never going to reveal that. Like, there's yeah. the moment where they're in the car traveling to do traveling to Dubai, and he's like, "So what do I do? What's my role in this?" And like Simon Pegg looks at him and goes, "You're you the help. helper. That's you're what the, you do. Yeah, you're the helper. You're the helper." Yeah. Um, but sorry, Dee, we we cut you off there. I think. So he's essentially the linguini of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> because like he just gets crept up uh, swept up in this crazy adventure. He wants to do everything by the book. He is the helper, you know, he never to, agrees. you know, linguini <laughs> is to Remy as um William is to Ethan. Like he is linguini. I was watching this movie and I was like I can't not see this now. And, and like <laughs> with Ratatouille so fresh in my head. And like I think what's really int- there's also like arguably another great passive aggressive swipe at Renner, which is like, look at how the movie opens, which it opens with Hannaway, who's played by Josh Holloway, right? Josh Holloway is this famously blonde actor. He's like, he's like, he's, that's his thing. He has these long blowing locks. He played Sawyer on Lost. And that's what he looks like. Here in the movie, they cut his hair short and they dye it brown to turn him into like a lame copy of Tom Cruise. And the entire opening premise of this movie is that, well, we got a Tom Cruise knockoff to do this Mission Impossible mission, and now the world is going to be destroyed as a result. Like, we hired a cheap knockoff of Tom Cruise and he failed. And then they put, like, Renner, who is another man who has, like, shortcut brown hair in there. And he becomes another example of, well, look, we've got another failed clone of Tom Cruise here who's also going to be completely useless. Like, it's notable that the movie opens with Cruise in literal movie jail. Like this movie reflecting Tom Cruise's position in Hollywood at that moment in time opens with him in custody, locked in a cell and then just deciding, no, I'm not going to be in prison anymore. Yeah. I'm not going to be in well, movie that, jail. That, that's the difference between uh, them and between like Tom Cruise and most actors is that kind of the movie business tries to make stars. But like um, Tom Cruise's stardom it's, it's always been so kind of like inevitable yes. and like that nothing could stop it. That it was like globalization. <laughs> <laughs> it was inevitable. Yeah, Tom Cruise was, was inevitable. It was just going to happen. 
like um the um where where is kind of like Renner is like, oh, yeah, maybe if we put him in this, that'll give him like a bit of a push and then we'll be in the Renner business. But <laughs> but like that, that nobody could do anything. Even Tom Cruise himself can't destroy his. Yeah. His own. On that. Uh, yeah. Oh, like that, sorry. Very quick point. Uh, just on the topic of his globalization and what can Tom Cruise not do? He, the guy is a Superman. Uh, but I found this some it, just some interesting insight you guys might get from uh, being married to a Russian Tom Cruise actually does a really decent Russian accent. Like there are plenty of actors out there who are just woeful. Like, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger in Red Heat comes yeah. to mind, for example. And his Greek. Um, I, <laughs> <laughs> but his American accent is so good. <laughs> but I mean, but I but I still thought that that was quite um, interesting because like Iman and I have obviously watched like, you know, a lot of movies where unfortunately Russian is the bad guy in a lot of them. Um, and you do get some Russian actors and then you get um, Hollywood actors who are just doing the Russian language. But, you know, it's really key, as with most languages, I'd assume, to like impersonate that accent while speaking the language. Otherwise, it, it won't sound right. Um, like Mila Kunis, for example, she she also speaks Russian, but she speaks with like quite a neutral accent. So even though her Russian is flawless, her accent would sound very off to um, native speakers, which I thought was quite interesting. She's Ukrainian, um, I think, isn't she? If I remember correctly, this is some, some yeah. yeah, she's Ukrainian, isn't she? Yeah, yeah, she's Ukrainian, but um, uh, uh, a lot of the what you call Eastern um, like European bloc would speak fluent Russian. As well as you know their native yeah. tongue. Yeah, a lot yeah. of the Ukrainians would speak Russian yeah. as well, like more than Ukrainian at home. Um, yeah, um, but they they what should we call it? It's in, this is interesting, kind of for its time because um, it's a it's probably um, uh, ill judged because it feels like a George Bush kind of. Uh, Russia movie, as in where where um, Russia has collapsed and basically the ruins are like allowing private individuals to exploit. Well, no, I I mean more um, in terms of uh, Russia and the United States working together in the kind of war on terror. Oh, okay. And where 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 the um, where um, the Americans are back in Afghanistan? Uh, sorry, sorry, where the Americans are in Afghanistan and. Russians are in Chechnya. Russians don't have a problem with it. And also the Russians are in Chechnya and the Americans uh, don't have any issue with it. And that they're like seeing them them as being part of the one kind of like uh, world mission to 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 bring peace and stability in, in inverted commas. Yeah, yeah. Like um, uh, and obviously those the, the things that I mentioned aren't equivalent. But but they they they, they I I mean you know you you are um uh, like obviously it's 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 not something that I know a lot about so I'm not going to pretend to 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 kind of like be an expert about it but it it felt interesting kind of um that the that the Russians weren't the villains in 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 this that you have a kind of a a a, a Swedish a NATO, nuclear scientist yeah. um. Uh, he's Swedish originally, isn't he? Like Michael yeah, Nyquist's yeah. character is actually Swedish, like Michael Nyquist. Yeah. And by the way, like we should talk about this. The villain is not great here. I don't think. No. I like Nyquist. No. Nyquist. Is I like his. I, I, I think he's one of the weaker ones, but I quite like him. Um, I think the movie hinges on Michael Nyquist beating up Tom Cruise. You have a problem with your climax. 
Uh, no, I, I haven't. It's, it's, see, that's the thing that was the original problem with me when I watched it the, for the first time. I was like, yeah, I thought, yeah, you can't, no, to be fair, none of them can. No one has ever actually beaten Tom, uh, sorry, Hunt in any of these films. We have actually never met someone who is an equal to him I think, in any manner. I think Henry really Cavill funny. definitely should have just beaten no, the... He's not an equal, he's above him. The guy... No, but I mean, he should have beaten the <laughs> crap out of him, you know? Oh, he should have killed him. Oh. Yeah, Tom Cruise should have been all battered. Um, but I'm more going with the fact that uh, the, the Cobalt is superior to him. By the way, Michael Nyquist is only two years older than Tom Cruise. Does not look at Yeah, I was suspecting that that might be the case. Um, um, I, I, I was more going with the, the fact that uh, Cobalt is superior to Hunt in the fact that he's clearly far more intelligent and I, I like the idea of this guy who's had to think about nothing but doomsday scenarios for the majority of his career has actually gone insane and thinks, yeah, uh, you know what? Doomsday's going to happen. It's probably going to happen in our lifetime. And Green? you know what? The only way to make it... Green? What? We're, we're yeah. going to talk about that next week when we talk about Tomorrowland. Because this may oh. be a Brad Bird three thematic preoccupation. <laughs> I just I just like the idea of a villain uh, or an antagonistic force that's just like, yeah, uh, I'm going to do this because it's the least damaging way. If everyone is hurt, then, you know, we can all work together to be a better world afterwards. Okay, Thanos. I think that is an interesting... <laughs> I, 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 can I... No, I'm sorry. Okay, Thanos Thanos is a little bitch compared to this guy. I mean, the whole Thanos... Like, uh, Sorry, we're not getting into... We're not getting into... <laughs> about Brad Bird. Can I go back it's to just, something? I... No, I, I, I just want to say that decoy... Uh, John Lark, I think, could have beaten up um, <laughs> Ethan Hunt. I feel the, the, the guy Radi, that, is that Raddy? Uh, yeah, 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 the um, Tom uh, Cruise's co-star uh, in Eyes Wide Shut. Lang Yang, um, yeah, who who um, uh, Tom Cruise and and Henry Cavill have to gang up to 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 defeat him. I think he would have he, beaten Ethan Hunt up on his own. Okay. Sorry, Graham. Sorry for that interruption, which was very important and vital. And <laughs> well, we were just saying, like nobody, nobody could uh, ever beat um, Ethan Hunt. I feel, I feel like that guy. If he had been given a fair, a fair fight, Ethan Hunt has the super, super. Ethan Hunt is super protagonist syndrome encapsulated in one character. We've never actually had a character who there should be at least one character, and I think the fact that this character, at least mentally is smarter than Ethan because he does because as the films go on as the films go on Ethan somehow becomes god and is literally narrated as god by Alec Baldwin in one scene uh, at least in this scene he is actually outmaneuvered by someone um constantly yeah um and i think this was something that was nice in the earlier films mm. 3 especially has it that Philip Seymour Hoffman's character is constantly outmaneuvering him mentally um and this character is also a kind of progression of that with, yeah, okay, fine, we can't find anyone who can physically beat Ethan, even though Ethan is, like, getting older, and there are younger agents, like Dee pointed out, um, August should have killed him uh, on that mountaintop, smote his ruin upon the mountaintop. Well, it's his, it's his tenacity that always does it. In, in, in the first movie, we have yeah. that. Like, like where yeah, everything goes... Yeah, he's a young man goes, in that one, he's in his Everything 20s. goes wrong for him, though. Yeah. Like, like... 
And I mean, to, to be fair to the Mission Impossible movies, they very rarely rely directly on action and force, which is something I quite like about them. Yeah, that's They're true. often very inventive. They rely on kind of like set pieces and stuff. And I think like my problem with Ghost Protocol, like ignoring all the stuff that we've raised so far, and I say this loving the movie, but we have to talk about some of the stuff we, lo- we love and we are running out of time. <laughs> but like, No, my, my big... no, let's keep shitting on it. Okay, Graham. That's... <laughs> That my big problem is that the climactic sequence of this, like most of the Mission Impossible movies, isn't the best scene in it. Oh, it's really like, poor. Is, yeah. I was watching it, yeah. that car park finale, and I was like, this is just not good. Yeah, just on the climax, we, we haven't talked uh, a lot about Bird as a director here, but it is worth kind of singling out. I think it's Noel Murray at the AV Club makes the point that the climax of the movie feels a lot like the climax of a Pixar film from around the same time. Right. Off the top of my head, I'm thinking of something like, say, the door, the factory sequence with the doors in, in Monsters, Inc., or the airport yeah. sequence with the conveyor belt in Toy Story 2. Yeah. It's a very astute observation that, it, like, this does feel in some ways like an animator's kind of climax, where you have objects in motion and the physics of collision and stuff like that, that I don't think works as well in live action. It's not as impressive in live action because yeah. we're used to understanding that physics work in the real world. Uh, but I, I think it's part of a larger, I don't want to say problem with the Mission Impossible movies because, you know, I don't think it is a serious problem. I love the movies very much, but it contributes to that thing that Dee mentioned where they can feel like YouTube highlight reels. Yeah. Where, generally speaking, if you think of the most iconic sequence in a given Mission Impossible movie, it's generally not the climactic sequence. So, for example, obviously, in Ghost Protocol, you think of this movie, you think of Tom Cruise on the, the Burj Khalifa. You think of, for example, Mission Impossible 3, it, it's that sequence on the bridge that that Graham mentioned, where it's Tom Cruise versus a fighter jet. I mean, you, you think of, of Rogue Nation, uh, it's it's the sequence with the opera house that we've already discussed, you know? Well, I, I would argue you think about the plane. That happens at the very start, yes. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, I'm just saying people think of the plane. I'm saying structurally it's a problem with a movie yeah. where the climax is... Six, six, you think of that bathroom scene. No, but, but six, six has the helicopter stuff, which is genuinely amazing oh, and true. breathtaking. Yeah, that's and true. Yeah, that it's specifically true. That reverse true. engineered by Macquarie to solve the problem that we just mentioned. But and, like... But, and, and, and I think in the first one, you think of... Um, the dangling. Him, him, the dangling, but you forget about the and helicopter sequence. In the, on in, the French uh, tunnel. The helicopter in, in the... the, in the like, that was such a bad idea. It's great. That was such a bad idea by Leon. <laughs> <laughs> John Reno... Um, Can do no wrong. Yeah, he was just kind of like full of <laughs> Really? Because I'm pretty certain a whole country disagrees. Okay. Um, let's talk about some of the great stuff in this movie, because we haven't really talked about it. Like, what is everybody's favourite sequence in this movie? So, D, what's your favourite moment in this movie? Oh, it's absolutely the Burj Khalifa um, scene. I mean, mm. I was it's funny. There's a lot about this movie that I I, I didn't remember. I was kind of surprised. Uh, but then again, I wasn't surprised at how much I didn't remember, because when you watch them all in sequence, they do just blend all together and you can't remember was was the Airbus scene here. And I remember there was a scene where he, you know, held his breath underwater for six minutes. I think they're both five, actually, as it turns out. Um, and then, of course, we all know when he broke yeah. his foot. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. We were all we all know yeah. where we were in the well, because world. Because he took that on tour, like like the selfie, like the selfie of top the Burj Khalifa. Yeah. That is how you sell the movie. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but yeah, no, that's definitely the best one. But I was I was pleasantly surprised at watching it and still being blown away and still my palms getting sweaty watching it. Like it's so intense, so well filmed, so well performed. Just the timing of it is just, just right. I think it's a spectacular mm. action sequence. 
And crews had to fight for that. Like, they wanted to do it all on a vertical wall. They wanted to do it all on a set with CGI and green screen. And I find, like, and again, this is where Hollywood was moving at this point. Again, we mentioned the other movies around this time are like Captain America, Thor. Um, a lot of CGI, a lot of green screen work. Here you're actually using locations. You're doing physical stunts. He, he convinced Paramount to give him a day. And after having the day, he's like, no, we're doing a week. Like, I've decided we are filming this for a week on the top of this building. Uh, and it really works. Like, it... It's so, so good. And I think, like, if you ask me what Ghost Protocol is about, you could argue it is about, like, stunt work. It's about the importance of movie making and movie making magic. Like, the opening sequence, like, throughout the movie, the characters get out of situations by using old-fashioned movie magic. Think of the sequence where Josh Holloway jumps off the roof and he does it by, like, throwing a little inflatable bed down the bottom. It's That's how you <laughs> do the stunt if you're in a movie. You jump off a yeah. roof and land in a cushion. Think of the sequence where they have the hallway where they're kind of sneaking into the Kremlin. They use... Such a cool scene. Oh, I think but the gadget use... is so lame. Yeah. I thought really? it was so stupid. I mean, here's the thing. If you have more than one person guarding a thing, which usually yeah, exactly. you do, that thing is completely pointless. But again, that's, I suppose that is tying into, you know, what Darren was saying about the failure that's of... the deus ex machina kind the of... The failure of yeah. technology and all that. So it does, it yeah, does fit I was thinking that, this, you know. Yeah. But it's also... I was thinking the same thing throughout the entire scene. I was just like, if another person walks into this room... They are screwed. But it's it's also movie magic. It's forced perspective. It's the idea that instead yeah. of building sets that are actually large, you just have walls that are closer that look like the set <laughs> goes on. Again, classic movie magic. The sequence where he comes out like playing Anatoly, the Russian general, and he just turns his jacket inside out. That's a costume that change. So cool. That was cool. That's so goddamn cool. Like, that was hot. Like, <laughs> like it. Look, I'm taking out his little Clark Kent glasses. Sorry, sorry but they're... Uh, there are a few it was very that but it was there were some sequences in this where I was like oh that's hot like that leather jacket look I was like <laughs> and they and the, I, mean, I just I just imagine you you there at the colonel is going is that Tom Cruise no it's got glasses <laughs> right right but sorry D um, yeah no there like like that bit yeah I, I, I really I really um, enjoyed <clears throat> aesthetically but as well <laughs> like it clearly it clearly wasn't just me with that whole uh, leather jacket and the hoodie underneath thing because they use nope. that as well as in the Burj Khalifa. Four uh, times. Yeah, it appears four times. But also, if you look at the posters, the one I remember yes. seeing around actually yeah. was him walking yeah. through the crowd. Now, I'm not sure which was it that poster or the one or the image of him up on the Burj Khalifa, because um, I showed you guys the DVD cover um, and that uses that. Mm. Uh, but I remember when it was out, the poster I saw was of him in the jacket. And I think it's because he looks looks good. Yeah. And yeah, because yeah. he's got the yeah. hoodie up and everything. And it's like smoke behind him. And it's like. What's and going is on? It, is part of it the unusual look of like having like a kind a of a leather skin. hoodie with like naked skin underneath? Like there's no shirt. <laughs> is, is no, it, but is he it? has a shirt on. He has. Oh, no, oh, you're talking about that scene. Yeah, there's the one where he's not and, wearing anything under it. Yeah, and after he's and escaped the, the hospital. Poster. Like you don't see like the the the, 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 the neckline of, of, of it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I wasn't really looking at the neckline. <laughs> Oh, now okay. I that am. That's what the Yeah, um, but is 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 that part of the appeal? I is, I, th is, is I that that he's there. There is a kind of a nakedity to it. I mean, I think <laughs> that you have like the leather jacket, which I think is a very like kind of 
hot look on guys anyway. Like you like go back to like rebel without a cause, you know, it's the that whole kind of rebel bad mm. boy thing. And then you've got that paired with the hoodie, the hood up mm. mystery guy trying to blend in. So it's that weird dichotomy that there's just something so with the perfect yeah, amount of shadow around exactly. his forehead. There's, there's enough there's hair. And his hair, which has been I mean, longer. Listen, yeah, yeah. Yeah. listen, listen, I'm just saying it's an anime trope. It's a video game trope. Hoodies are there sexy. There you go. Like for for like anyone, hoodies are sexy. It's 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 a and Cruz is using them both here. Yes, yes. Assassin's Creed is so popular. (laughs) Damn right. There you go. And and it's like in terms of that stuff as well. Like my favorite crazy read on the movie is Richard Brody arguing that it's a pie-end to Middle America because it's about these people who wear disguises to infiltrate like high society and (laughs) feel really uncomfortable (laughs) in parties, but at the end of the day, just want to go home in hoodies and have beers on the pier. Um, like that's like <laughs> which I kind of love it's about it's the most middle American movie ever made according to Richard Brody which I love and the other thing just he very could, quick, he'd look just he'd disguise just as well carrying a bag of cans as he would like trying to <laughs> run away yes. from the government I love just that a, just, a, just, just a six pack just a six pack of Carlsberg yeah. Yeah. under one arm but like, like that's the thing we Those mentioned look the, like, like a bag of cans guy when he does when he has that we mentioned like birds objectivism and Dee kind of brought it up this week so I don't feel bad but the idea of like the idea that these are arguably the most ordinary workaday protagonists the bird has worked with these are just like technicians these are people who just do the stunts they do the work they are like the unsung heroes of Hollywood they're the guys who are the stunt people who actually do the work themselves that you see on screen and make it real and that's what I really really love about the movie Mm. Um, and then other stuff very quickly the bird, the, the weird Cold Warness of the movie, which is very bird, because we mentioned this when we mm-hmm. talked about like mm-hmm. The Incredibles being set in the 60s, um, obviously The Iron Giant being set in the 50s during the Cold War. And this has like the allusion to 99 Kremlin. red balloons. They yeah. blow up the Kremlin. They yeah. they mentioned yeah. tensions being higher than they have been since the Cuban Missile Crisis, and even like Michael Giacchino's score is very sixties inflected. Oh, it's yeah. so good! Yeah. This it's so good when this film opens. No, can I say it's not? You you don't think not. it is? Okay, no, sorry. I don't. I don't think the mission. The 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 when when you kind of do like a variation on a theme on a theme inspired by Mission <laughs> Impossible, where 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 you don't just like just go for it, just do it, give the people what they want, like like do, which is Adam Clayton and uh, pretty much yeah, oh, go so as you, closely as you can to the Lilo Schaffer one. Yeah. So Andrew, are you saying you, that you didn't like that he Giacchino did? Because I did kind of like that he. Did, Giacchino did. I yeah. did like it. I did. I, like... I did not. I did <laughs> no, not. that's fair. Like, that's fair. Uh, um, what do you think of the of three's version of the score? I, I like. What about well, two's version? Um, the, 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 <laughs> the, the limp biscuit. So I know In you really want to hate me. Yeah. Oh. Um, who 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 scored six actually? Because I really Giacchino they... again, isn't it? I thought. Is oh it? no, no, it's not. It's Lauren Balf. It's Lauren Balf. Oh yeah, because the remix of the original for six is fantastic. Um, I think really I think the, the 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 Limp Bizkit, uh one for the second <laughs> one goes very well with the movie. It does. Like you know, we don't have time to talk. Very Limp Bizkit. We don't have time to talk about two, but two is very much a divorce movie. Two is very much like Nicole Kidman and myself are not together. I'm wearing a leather jacket and sunglasses. My hair is long. I'm riding motorbikes. I'm hooking up. I am like I am the most sexual I have ever been in these movies. Like I'm sleeping with this. And yes. No, but but like it, it is like two it has big divorced dad energy is how I would describe it. And the Limp Biscuit soundtrack is an integral part of that. I would contend. <laughs> is there anything else you want to talk about with regards to? to I mean, I I mean just to uh, kind of put on further kind of um, to gush about with D. 
I, I really enjoyed the 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 Red Dead scene <laughs> when he's like swinging back and and for the silliest reason for the silliest reason because I think this is what great what Brad Bird does really well when he mixes comedy with uh like high stakes is when he flings himself um to 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 the open window and hits his head and it feel <laughs> you feel it when he hits his head and he hits his head several he times he gets up with several film, concussions to the yes. point where I'm like he's got to be missing a tooth and like when he hits his head and you just see and you just see uh, Brant run for his like leg at the bottom and then you see Carter run for his leg and it's just like Oh God! Why isn't Why isn't Hunt knocked out? And it's just he's just like it's just, it's just it looks terrifying, and you feel it, and it's just it's it's funny because you're kind of like laughing out of disbelief. There's gallows humor because you're like, oh, he could eat. They could all easily die right now, and it's just so much fun. And like I I I I said this before, but I'm really sad that Paula Patton did not come back for another one yeah, because great. I think this foursome were really fun together. Like, I thought they really bounced off each other. And that's probably a mixture of, you know, Brad Bird's direction. I'd like to think that anyway. And also just the the, the cast having, I think, a lot of fun. Because the the film is just a very fun adventure. I mean... um, it Like, like it is a bit sad that Dee says it, it's maybe one of the lesser ones. But I still... It's gone up in my estimation, I think, in the same way it's gone down in Dee's. So I think somewhere between our watches we would have met in the middle and gone, nice... And then kept going. <laughs> but I, I do think that like the, again, sorry, just very, very quickly about Patton. Patton is this actor who never had this career. Like she just disappeared after no. that. She did like Warcraft. I mean, she went it. to, she, she got Warcraft, which was hopefully going to be something else. And then no, it was really sad. Um, that said, I like part of me is like, if we had her, we probably wouldn't have got Ferguson and we probably wouldn't have got Kirby. Yeah. And I think Ferguson and Kirby are both great. By the way, we should shout yep. out um, the, there's a very obvious sequence here that was meant to be a cameo that they weren't able to get work. The sequence where he goes to meet, uh, is it Bagdon's or Bogdan's cousin? Oh yeah, was that supposed, that was to, supposed be... to be Vanessa Redgrave? Um, in fact, oh, the hench because you could tell because the guy yeah, it's the, the same henchman. The bag over his head, it's the same guy. Yeah, in fact, like there, there's a very like even just looking at the action sequences, which are obviously the most bird inflected part of the movie. There's a lot of this that owes a lot to like Brian De Palma's kind of original 1996 Mission Impossible film. Like that, obviously they do the whole like dangling from the ceiling thing with Jeremy Renner, except this time like using magnets instead of using a rope. And I think, like, Bird has said that that, that scene uh, with Vanessa Redgrave and Tom Cruise from the original Mission Impossible is his favourite, like, scene in it the franchise. It is a great scene. It is so a it's quite clear that he... Uh, well, to be fair, we get Vanessa Kirby in another one, and that, and she's her daughter, yeah. which is lovely. Is there anything else we're talking about? Anything we haven't discussed already and jumping out at you? So, D, anything we haven't talked about with regards to Ghost Protocol that you wanted to call out? Yeah, just to kind of, um, you know, uh, bring the discussion like full circle with relation to Brad. I find this a really interesting experience watching this immediately after Incredibles, Ratatouille and uh, The Iron Giant and Mm -hmm. comparing this film to those rather than comparing it to the other Mission Impossible movies. So uh, so I'm kind of glad in a way I didn't revisit them uh, because I'd be comparing them more so to that. Um, And I just find it really, really interesting how, you know, how uh, even though it's a live action and that in itself is like such a huge departure from the other movies we've been talking about, you can see his um, stamp all over this film. Um, It felt very Incredibles, not just in its music, but also in um, in those uh, opening credits. I thought they just looked so 
incredible. <laughs> and then obviously both films have that old school kind of spy aesthetic. Uh, Bird, mm. um, we, w- we won't get too much into this now, but I find it really interesting that uh, Brad Bird is, does quite enjoy using uh, CGI in his movies. He does try to utilize it for all it's worth, but I think it has ended up dating his movies in a way. Again, this is kind of a bigger discussion and actually could be very well suited for Tomorrowland next week. Uh, so we'll see if we end up continuing that. Um, Interest. Okay, yeah. we'll put a pin in that and one or pull also, a pin out of that And one. then also um, the whole idea of uh, teamwork he's very kind of interested in. Yes. Um, he is from, uh, you know, everything you've described, uh, Darren, it sounds like he's a very uh, collaborative director, both, um, you know, from behind the camera as well. And teamwork is this recurring theme in his movies. We've seen it in this. Incredibles, even in, you know, Ratatouille with the rats coming together, you know, the teamwork in the kitchen. Um, And I suppose that is like, aside from, you know, the hopefulness of Bird's movies, I think that whole emphasis on teamwork is another thing that pushes back against that idea of, is he an objectivist? Um, Because I think there's something more kind of, uh, kind of self-centered. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, So I suppose that was, we've actually gotten through, I've kind of been half looking at my notes, but we actually kind of got through most of the, pretty much everything I want to talk Mm. about in relation to this movie. So that's it for me. Nice. Um, Just very quickly in terms of the bird stuff that you mentioned, I like that he acknowledges that like, this is a movie that you just kind of have to go with. Like, I love the sequence where after Cruz and Brand have escaped from the crashed car with the secretary, who was obviously a close, dear personal friend to Ethan Hunt and had been forever. He was probably at his wedding. I mean, they probably (laughs) go back years. Um, But like, I love that after that, Brand is like, so what was your scenario? Like what was what was your idea? What 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 was your motivation in that scene? Why were you? What's di- your exit strategy? Yeah, he, no, but he's like. So what were you thinking? What was the logic behind you attaching a yeah. flare to a dead well, guy? I, I can't take the air out of the tires because Roger Moore has done that. <laughs> we can't just steal things from Bond movies. Yeah, um, um, but I I love that it's very much like no, you don't think about it. It's that thing that Andrew kind of mentioned earlier on the idea that it is a dumb movie, but it's aware that it's a dumb movie. And it's like basically telling right. you to go with it, which it's I calling it out. Yeah, yeah. And it's doing it early. Yeah, so you're like, like Get that with didn't it. make any sense. And then it's like, hey, it doesn't have to. It's jazz, baby. Yeah, who do you think you are, Jeremy? They don't, they don't call it mission realistic, guys. It's mission impossible. You know, <laughs> exactly. And Graham, anything for yourself? Anything jumping out for you that we haven't talked about already? Um, no, we've all we've touched on pretty much everything. But I mean, like. I, I, every time I watch this, I have more fun with it. Um, it I is fun. Honestly, it's, it's I don't know right. why. I don't know why. It's like, because it, it started off like very, it, it just, it's, it's, it started off so quiet when I first watched it, uh, when I, when it first came out. And every time I've watched it, I've enjoyed it more for the scenes that I originally enjoyed. And then discovering some other things. Like again, the family dynamic uh, element, I only discovered in this, this, this rewatch like before this um, podcast, which is a strange kind of thing. Can I throw a suggestion at you for maybe why that mm. might be? Uh, and this is just me talking to my uh, to my own experience, like loving this movie and loving it more on rewatches, is the idea that it's something that Dee mentioned earlier, that it is most of the Mission Impossible movies are just like 
set pieces strung together yeah, with like the, the, the no but they're the thinnest of threads like the storyline exists so that as andrew said the next thing is the most important thing that you're <laughs> chasing but it's to get from a to b to c and those are all set pieces and i think a lot that on of movies are like that a lot what? of star wars movies yeah. are kind of like oh we have to get the key to open the shield to get into this well we will be talking about the rise of skywalker <laughs> next year um we have to get the map to find the map to the map to the darth vader thing yeah um but like the thing with with this is, and the thing with this is that like, rewatching watching it the first time, personally, I find myself focusing on plot and focusing on how thin mm. those threads are connecting it together, and the fact that I don't think the finale of this movie is particularly great. I think the movie climaxes with like the Burj Khalifa and then the sandstorm scene, which are scenes that Bird storyboarded as an yeah, animated, that car crash. That like the, that whole really that whole sequence is amazing. How, that is sh- how does he know that there won't be another car crash before he hits that <laughs> other car? <laughs> <laughs> um, but like rewatching the movie, you go I suppose in. If if he did crash into another car, then presumably there would be two like crash a chain cars reaction. Yeah. in front of uh, Hendrix. Yeah, and he yeah, yeah. Oh, by the way, this was this was one to, very quickly to come back to Brody. Brody's argument of this as a high end to blue collar America was the fact that like the one piece of technology that doesn't fail fail is the quintessential American automotive. That is how yeah. Ethan Hunt at the end, like in this like incredibly convoluted uh, like car park elevator thing, he just gets in a car and drives it over a cliff, and that is how he saves the day because the what car's if, airbag works and he buckles up. What if Tom Cruise's soul had a car? Had a gun. <laughs> <laughs> that is. Oh, the his best. soul has a gun. Don't worry. All right then. Um, uh, can I can I say um, he wakes up in a, a hospital? hospital and um, the, 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 the Russian police guy, the secret police guy is smoking and says, you can't smoke here. This isn't a nightclub. It's, it's a, a hospital. hospital. It's uh, inappropriate it's even. Yeah. And, and then and then Tom Cruise leaves through the window and misses like his his meal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, uh, I'm, I'm, if if Anil Kapoor has that experience, does everybody leave with their bottle of wine? And if that's the case, what about the people who don't drink? That would be food waste. Yeah, um, yeah, it's the cu- cuvee Louis. Um, actually, I'm more of a bourbon girl. Um, yeah. Which is a really trashy thing to say. Okay, that's the blue colorness. This is giving away a bottle of champagne <laughs> to every guest. I'm more of a crap American whiskey kind of gal. Well, I'm um, not saying Richard Brody is one of the greatest like film critics working in American <laughs> cinema, but I'm saying that maybe his read on this movie has some basis, in fact. All right, then. If there's nothing else to talk about, what we normally do at the end of the podcast is we ask our guests to recommend something, something they're enjoying at the moment. It could be something related to the movie, something unrelated to the movie, just something to give them joy and to give our listeners joy in this confusing world. So to give Graham, to give Dee a chance to think about it, I'm going to ask Andrew to go for it. I am going to recommend... You tell me reliably enough that I haven't recommended it. Some other guests have is a uh, nope. I saw it when I was over there in um in uh, England a number of uh, weeks or months ago, um when I saw uh, Jack of uh, oh, Jack Hodges, Jack Hodges. Of, of this podcast, friend of the parish, uh, friend of the parish, um, and we saw nope together like in the middle of the day. Which which was a lot of fun. I think the problem that I've had that I had with Get Out was that it didn't deliver on the kind of genre expectations. Like it was kind of a horror movie, but, but I didn't think it was comedy. scary. It was kind of a comedy, but I didn't think it was that funny. But mostly it was like a social commentary. But I, 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 no, no, nope. On the other hand, I think it w- works like 
extremely well in like all of the dimensions that it kind of goes for yeah. and um i think it's one of the best movies of the year probably yeah. pro- it could be the best like in in and like we we we've done some good movies this year like i thought the batman was very good i thought top gun maverick maverick was i was, was cooler on fantastic. that but everybody loves that movie yeah 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 but but i i i i, I feel like no maybe has them best um, and it's terrifically original as well, considering yes. like the competition is like Top Gun and Batman. <laughs> yeah. um, this isn't a franchise. This is yeah. like uh, this is an idea that and came from Peel, and it's kind of about, in some ways, about like the fact that this competition is Top Gun and Batman. It is. I think it's that's way. what I thought. Yeah, and it's 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 it, it, it's it, the aboutness is strong with, the, with that <laughs> one. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it it's it, it feels like a very kind of like profound movie in a lot of different directions. And I mean, there yeah. is a push westwards. In yes, it as well. exactly. Yes. So, so it, Darren's like, should, yeah, we I'm should old. definitely get it on the two fifty. Unfortunately, there's like um, a lot just, of African Americans Americans in yeah. it, so it'll never um, be Make the discussed list. on this podcast. It, it it could it could drop in for like we we did have like get out and, and moonlight. moonlight yeah back in 2016 jump in until all the white guys on the internet realized that um, i think both of them were in for like a grand total of eight hours it was kind of incredible it was like i'm like wait is moonlight is in the 250 and it's like refreshed and it's like nope no it's not Jeez, yeah. that's ridiculous no it's so, oh it's so oh, it's such a shame because i actually do think that jordan peele is one of the like great filmmakers uh, working at the moment. I love all three of those movies. Um, Jordan Peele's season is long overdue, but yeah, like Darren said, unfortunately, the, those movies just don't seem to go in the top 250. <laughs> I, I like the idea that next November, we're just going to scrap the list entirely and do an appealing season. Our <laughs> um, top 250. <laughs> do you want to set the record straight that I like Jordan Peele now? Because people, like, it's the one... I, has it happened once? No, actually, yeah, it is only once. The one episode that I wasn't on at all. Okay. Um, and then there's yeah. a, another episode that I uh, appear on for like ten minutes. And um, we also talk about. Um, yeah. But 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 um, in case listeners think that I just don't like Jordan Peele movies because I was a little bit kind of cold on um, on, on, on Get on, Out. Get um, no, he's terrific. All right. And Graham, what would you recommend? What are you enjoying at the moment? Um, well, just to get out of the way, because it's become obligatory at this point. One Piece. Uh, <laughs> Graham will be referencing One Piece during next year's next next year's Peel season. I'll be referencing One Piece until the heat death of the heat, heat, heat death of the Earth. That launched in 99, right? That was when the first episode aired. I've been doing yeah. research for this just in case. No, no, far sooner. Oh, wait. Yeah, no, maybe 98. I mean, it's it's been going for a very long time. 23, 24 like years. pirates and stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's about pirates. Um, yeah. Fun pirates. It's... And we're we're going to end up having to watch all of it. No, no, it'll never happen. Don't worry. Um, yeah, so that's a fun adventure. Full, of, you know, uh, I, I love it. Um, I like if you say we. <laughs> I, yeah, it wouldn't be. Yeah, it won't be you, Andrew. Um, I'd totally watch all of them. <laughs> for people who are more interested in spy adventures, uh, as I spoke on her previously, Spy Family is a lot of fun. Um, if you love spies, if you love kind of political dramas, but with a very interesting twist and turn, that is a great show to watch. Um, also Brandon Sanderson has released his latest book for the Cosmere. Um, it is the final book of Wax and Wayne, uh, two 
characters that I've I've fallen in love with years ago. Uh, it's called the Lost Metal. Uh, it's out now, and um, so it's on brand for brand on. Yeah, it certainly is. And then, um, oh, for films, I would recommend. Uh, I I would personally recommend um, Strange World. I think that's a fun family adventure. Uh, it's getting lukewarm reception, which is a bit of a shame. Um, I don't think it was uh, promoted nearly enough. And then finally, uh, Bones and All as a really weird kind of left turn. Uh, I think that is an incredible film. And the less you know about it going in, the better. I When I saw it for the press screening, I didn't know what it was about. And so when the first five minutes happened, yes, but- I, I, je- I, je- I silently screamed. I, uh, I I freaked out. I you may have stolen two of my recommendations there, but like I saw oh, no, I'm a, sorry. no no don't worry don't apologize. I saw a preview of it, and like obviously there's a great moment at the start where the host was like, "How many people here know nothing about the movie?" And about half the cinema raises their hands. Oh god! And it's really great when you watch it, and then like middle aged women put their fur coats on and like walk yeah. out of the movie. Really? Yeah, it was. It was oh, like, I wish I'd been of, there for that. One of the rare times I've ah, seen people leave a free screen. I love when people leave the screening. <laughs> The, um, <laughs> more air from me <laughs> remember seeing like Dancer in the Dark with somebody like the Bjork, I, I remember yeah. uh, I saw the movie Aristocrats oh. with with my with my family like my my brother and mother and father we all saw they were up in Dublin like for the day and it's like <laughs> oh I've heard this story yeah. you told me this story <laughs> yeah it's such an odd choice to go see a yeah, movie yeah it's a family and, and, then, and then we went to see that movie and it's amazing like the different groups of people leaving the cinema at different points in it like as as, as they were personally getting a film yeah I love it where like people are are kind of like, oh, this is hilarious. Oh no, they're talking about me. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm offended now. This is offensive. Um, yeah, yeah. Sorry, well, sorry, Graham. We interrupted you. There. I beg your pardon. No, no, that um, I can't. That that that's really it. It's just I was really, I really enjoyed the films I've seen this week. Yeah, Stra- you know, Strange World and um, Bones and All. Again, because if you don't know anything going into Bones and All. Who boy? It's not to sink your teeth. I mean, <laughs> I see what you did. It's definitely something to sink your teeth into. Uh, or just digest. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yes, it is. A movie I get that reference. Um, so. All right. So, D, what would you recommend? What are you enjoying at the moment? Yeah, I saw Graham actually on the way um, on the Lewis on the way back from Burns. I feel like I was still processing it at that point. Um, I I feel like I'm still processing it now. I'd say, I'd say we freaked out a lot of people on that Lewis line. Yeah, I think that people thought we were joking. <laughs> <laughs> and there were a lot of kids beside us. But... Um, I'll just say if you're if you've got a delicate stomach, maybe avoid. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, it's a really it's a really interesting film. Um, and the funny thing is, I remember reading about it going into production years ago, and then it was only as I was watching it, I was like, "Oh, this is that movie." Yeah. Um, but uh, also, I disagree with Graham about Strange World. I didn't like it. Sorry. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, a lot of people do. Sorry. Um, I actually think no, it's one of Disney's weakest since. Um, since the good dinosaur, uh, which I know isn't great, but I just, I just, it take that, Peter Son. I just didn't like it. <laughs> this at all. is fun, but... though. I enjoy this when we disagree about. Yeah, movies. yeah, and it's, yeah, it's something we should do more regularly. We should do this more. Often. Yeah, we should do this like next <laughs> yeah. week, maybe. Um, but um, as per my recommendations, uh, watching the final 
scene of uh, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. It reminded me of a much better movie involving a lift, which is The Platform. It is a movie on oh. Netflix. It's another one that um, oh, yeah. you're better going Food into. Ex- and food waste, yes. Um, although, is there much food waste? Actually, no, they are very messy. But anyway, it's it's a really, it's an excellent movie on Netflix in uh, Spanish. Please don't let that put you off. It's absolutely brilliant. One of the most original movies I think I've seen in years and years and years. Um, and uh, I just, I, it completely like shook me to my core. I, I loved it. Um, and then um, also watching this movie, I was thinking I... An elevated genre yeah. movie. Um, yeah. And then uh, watching this movie, I uh, sorry, watching Ghost Protocol, I was also like, I need a detox to all this male BS. So for that, I would recommend She Said. It is absolutely heart wrenching, but brilliant. An adaptation of um, the, the New York Times article that outed Harvey Weinstein. Um, a lot of the uh, women who... Um, you know, uh, spoke to the writers are involved in the uh, production in some way. So I thought that was really interesting. Um, apparently, it's not doing great at the box office. I think it's kind of a bit scary for people. Like it's it's still a bit uh, fresh, I suppose. But I do think that it's it's br- it's brilliant and well worth watching. Um, I also want to recommend a Tom Cruise movie on this uh, subject matter. So for that, I would recommend The Color of Money, a much uh, younger Tom Cruise almost uni browed but not quite um and i just think that that's a really really fun movie i think it gets um a lot more shtick than it deserves as kind of you know as a martin scorsese people are uh, martin scorsese movie people are like oh this isn't good at all but that's compared to his other movies i think it's really really fun paul newman is brilliant in it and then for new movies that are um you know, showing in cinemas hopefully still by the time this podcast comes out um i have to recommend how to tell a secret which is also an Irish movie plug. And I think that when, you know, we get a a, a great um, national film that we really need to kind of elevate and talk about it. So How to Tell a Secret is a documentary um, about uh, people disclosing when they have a diagnosis of HIV. I just found it really enlightening and educational. Um, the stories in it are absolutely uh, beautiful and um, completely, you know, uh, breathtakingly emotional, uh, but it's also very um, inspiring and hopeful. And I just think that it it is really, really excellent um, and that it's, it's a film that everyone needs to see. Uh, in terms of recommendations uh, for myself, uh, it's a great weekend at cinemas. Go see something in a cinema. Um, to <laughs> What has become a recurring motif of this podcast has been me recommending something de-recommended last week. I saw Living. Uh, it was very good. The Bill yeah. Nighy movie. I found it deeply, deeply oh, moving. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah, Kur- Kurosawa kind of reading. Yeah, the adaptation of... It's from Kira. the writer of Remains of the Day as well, which is kind oh, of really? incredible. Kazuo yeah. Ishiguro. Yeah. Really? Uh, yeah, it's it's amazing. Not, not the writer of the movie Remains of the Day, which which I think yeah, is no, like the Merchant the novelist, Ivory. Yeah. 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 Oh, okay. Um, wow. uh, I had, I found it really moving, really sweet. Uh, I saw The Menu as well, which was less moving and less sweet, but is very pulpy, very mm-hmm. trashy. I had a great deal of fun with. Um, 
And then obviously, yeah, Graham mentioned uh, Strange World, which is like a nice callback to like the old Tarzan, uh, Atlantis, Treasure Planet movies. Yeah. And, you know, we're not going to talk about those movies right now because that's a whole other kettle of fish. But I do think that it does for them what movies like, say, Frozen or Moana or Encanto did for the Disney princess movies. It finds a way to modernize them, to find an emotional core to them and to build a compelling character arc into them in a way that is true to their appeal uh, while enriching and deepening it. Uh, and then the other thing I would mention, uh, I saw on Monday, it's been a very busy week uh, film-wise, I had a mm. two-film day where I got to see Bones and All, which Graham already recommended, mm. and I will second. Um, and I also got to see uh, Glass Onion. And that is possibly oh, yeah. the best day that I have had at the cinema uh, in a very long time. Uh, it feels like the inverse of the day that we all saw Cats and the Rise of Skywalker. It's like the <laughs> that was a great day. That's around the same time as Knives Out, right? Yeah. 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 My worst Sorry. day was the fifteen seventeen to Paris and uh, Fifty Shades Freed. That was that a rough a bad day. day. Yeah. That is a bad day. I think. I think <laughs> what was worse, Darren. To be fair, we had fun talking about you know cats. <laughs> I think. I think t- to be fair, the thing about like the Cats Rise of Skywalker day was that like the hope was the worst part. It's like the Dark Knight Rises. It's the bit where you're like in the pit, and yeah. you're staring upwards. So you've seen cats. And you're, part of you is like, that is the worst film I'm going to see today. No matter what comes mm-hmm. next, mm-hmm. Cats will always be the worst film I've seen today. So we put our rope on <laughs> and we jumped and we snapped our back. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that is what I'd recommend. Go to the cinema, go see any of those movies. They're all fantastic. There is something for everybody. Yeah. And just, just, just to point out, uh, Glass Onion is only in cinemas for this a week. Weekend. Yes. Yeah, it's only in cinemas for a week for for a week, and then it won't be out on Netflix until the twenty third of December. Yes, yeah. uh, and it's it's a great movie to see with a crowd. It's really fun, yeah. um, as you might expect from the director of Knives Out. The ensemble is fantastic. Uh, Edward Norton, Janelle Monae, uh, Dave Bautista are all fantastic. Ooh, Bautista. Yeah. Is he? <laughs> yes. Is he, is he adding to like his? Uh, great director bingo card yeah yeah <laughs> like it, like it's it's like leonardo dicaprio and batista it's like the great living director's bingo cards I've, yeah i feel i feel like the he he does a, a lot of good work in good movies and that like the more movies he's in to kind of like add to the whole batista argument the better yeah. what the, that that's it is that like that's the thing it's like i keep Every time I see him, I am impressed by him. And then I feel ashamed because I'm like, why am I impressed by him? Because he's impressed me consistently. Yeah. Like there's, uh, by the way, Andrew, uh, special recommendation. I think it's difficult because he's, he's, he's a, he's a wrestler. professional wrestler. Yeah. And he, but he's doing stuff that The Rock just can't do. And won't so do. True. It's the yeah. thing as well. John Cena's doing it all, I think. Just, just bring that out. And, like, he's really, really good here as well. Like, again, like, he's with, like, Norton, Janelle Monet, um, feckin', like, Daniel Craig. Catherine is, Hahn. Yeah, Catherine yeah. Hahn is great as well. It's got, like, Leslie Odom Jr. is, like, arguably wasted in the cast because, like, it's, like, he gets the least to do. But he's still amazing. Anyway, go watch it. It's really great fun. Uh, it involves the sentence, uh, consensual cuckolden for cable news, uh, which is just a phrase that I just needed to hear in a Southern accent. Um... All right then. So if listeners looking for a bit more Graham of or- oh, wait, wait, wait. Sorry, can I just add one more? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> okay, I just thought of another recommendation because you were mentioning movies that will have a limited release yes. um, in cinemas before Netflix. I have to say Matilda the Musical. I absolutely adored. Basically, if you love musical theatre, that is this movie brought to life in the cinema. And Alicia Weir, yes. holy crap, guys. She is incredible. 
so she's a young Irish actress has been cast as Matilda. I was just, I my mind was blown watching this kid. I, I think that she is the most talented kid actor I have seen in years and years and years. She's just got it all. She is so, so good. Um, And the movie is just a lot of fun. Very sweet, very like really nice, like family Christmas kind of movie. Um, Like, like if you have kind of younger kids, bring them to Matilda, maybe the older kids could go to Glass Onion. <laughs> uh, but sorry, I wanted to, I wanted to bring that Teenagers up. Teenagers to, uh, to like phones and all. <laughs> Is yeah, this the, just while we were talking about the uh, what shall we call it? Uh, what's showing in cinemas? I is have this to bring the that Tim Minchin yeah. yes. musical? musical? It is okay. I yeah. was maybe less fond of it than, than D was, and again, it's nice that we can have this disagreement about a movie. I mean, yeah, it'd be yeah. great if we could do it next week, maybe. Um, but I, I do think that that we were it's is amazing. Okay, that you disagree. <laughs> it's I, I agree that you disagree. I agree that you disagree. <laughs> um, but yes, I I think she's amazing. She's like it's a really promising young actor, and I suspect there's a very long career ahead of her. Um, all right then. Love so, to see it. if listeners um, are looking for a bit more D, a bit more Graham in their lives, where can they find you? Watch out, where are you up to? So, D, watch out, where are you up to? Uh, yeah, I am primarily on Twitter. Well, it still exists. Um, so, <laughs> well, I mean, you can follow us all on the Renner app, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Happy <laughs> Renner's Day. <laughs> Um, so I'm at Deirdre Malumbi at D-E-I-R-D-R-E-M-O-L-U-M-B-Y. Um, I'm I'm also on the airwaves. You can catch me on, um, I do Dave Fanning sometimes, or to Irina, uh, News Talk. Um, I usually tweet when I'm on um, and I share kind of articles there. Um, I'm on LinkedIn too. I don't know why that's the next <laughs> profile. Like it's my next kind of platform in terms of like actually remembering to keep up to date with like what I'm doing and stuff. Um, but, but there you go. And I'm you there. wrote a really good piece. We mentioned it, I think, when we were talking about Ratatouille. It's in the show notes for Ratatouille. It is worth reading just about Disney's dominance of the animation award cycle, uh, which is very worth reading. Thank you. Um, all right, Graham, where you at? Watch up to what you doing. Uh, I'm also mainly on Twitter. Long may it lit, may long may it rain. <laughs> and uh, Graham Geek Era, G R A H A M G E E K E I R E D is just kind of like I think just I had to do it now because D keeps filling her name. <laughs> um, and you can find me at Game Air. Um, you can find me at Scanon for my film reviews. And you can find me at The Escapist along with Darren. Um, not as articulate, but I think hopefully a little bit as a portion, proportionally amount uh, as informative. My latest article is about how uh, I lost my guild family, basically. And it, it, seemed to, it seemed to get people talking, talking heads. Uh, Graham, it was very interesting. Graham, mm-hmm. I told you not to take them to the former Yugoslavia and pose as diplomats while uh, you go out for a jog. What did you think uh, was going to happen? <laughs> I did think they'd get shot. I honestly, I did think there'd be nothing left of them. Nothing recognisable anyway. Um, and yeah, I also have a piece, uh, I'm, depending on when this comes out, uh, I have a piece coming up in film in Dublin, uh, which I'm really excited about. Uh, I won't say, just in case. Uh, okay, what's out this weekend? Oh, uh, what, the article's out this weekend? No, this, this, this podcast going out this weekend. Oh, yeah, then no, the article is not out yet. Oh. So... Yeah, so I'm going to leave that as a surprise. But, For next uh, week. Stay tuned, to fi- <laughs> stay tuned to Film in Dublin. 
Graham will be able to tell you what that article is when he appears next week, when we are continuing our Brad Bird season, oh, possibly God. talking about Tomorrowland. I don't know if we are. This I'm is all really going dangerously close. To this. And, and I, I like won't say, say no. I won't say no, but oh, I okay. swear to God. <laughs> I'm open-minded. I'm not going to... And if I do end up not liking it, I don't like any pleasure in that. <laughs> the uh, fact that you laugh I mean, I, call I don't it, take I any call pleasure in that. bullshit on that, but like... <laughs> and like, to be fair, like I'm on record. I think it's okay. Like that's mm-hmm. that's my position on it, and, and I think D that... hates it. Okay, okay. I I didn't hate is a very strong word. <laughs> very strong word. Yeah, uh, I think we need to talk about. She's this not disagreeing next week. I will point out D's not disagreeing. <laughs> it's a very strong word. It's an you accurate word, but it's a strong word. You don't have to fight us. <laughs> Wait, why, why is there an us? <laughs> anyway, 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 we will be back next week, hopefully talking about tomorrow. Uh, if not, we'll be talking about Whiplash with the Great Richard Drum. We'll be hopefully rounding off our bird season, taking flight, having covered... Did you do that on purpose? Whiplash Drum? That's amazing. I know. <laughs> Sorry, I just had to... <laughs> I mean, that's Richard was very that's impressed so when we told him that. Like, you can hear it on the episode. It's, am- I'm, it's one of the best things I have ever done in my life. Um, oh, all right. We'll be back next week. Take care, guys. Thank you so much. Bye. Thanks so much, guys. All right. Bye, guys. <laughs> Thanks so much. Bye, guys.